Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action. So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio. Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super Jcast. I'm Jolt. It is Wednesday the 30th of August 2023. This is episode 271. Damon is taking a little break from the show so I had to think very carefully about a guest co-host because I'm in the doghouse with the AEW fans this week for calling them Freakazoids. So in the interest of balance and fairness I had to call on someone who is not only a car carrying member of the Nujahideen, but also has absolutely zero track record of antagonizing the freakazoid piss babies. It's the host of Wrestling Omakaze. Welcome to the show, John Carroll. If you're looking to put on olive branch to the AEW fans, I'm the natural choice, I think. So this is why I'm finally appearing on the Super J cast because they all love me. I definitely uh, do not get called, called a troll by other members of the Forces of Wrestling staff no, no for so. my behavior. In the AEW channel on their Discord, I def that's definitely never happened to me. Uh, yeah, which by the way is not true. Posting your true thoughts is not trolling. Just because people freak the fuck out about them, it does not make it trolling. Just for the record. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly not going <laughs> to sit here and call them the most thin-skinned group of wrestling fans ever. And but look, by the time you finish listening to this show, they're all going to love us, right? They're going to love us. They always love me. They're always a huge fan of me. I definitely did not have one of them freaking out at me in the voice of wrestling in the all in uh, the flagship, like uh, instant reaction to all in. I didn't have one of them freaking out at me and telling me I argue exclusively in bad faith. Uh, that definitely didn't happen. I definitely wasn't uh, far enough inflammatory tweets, immediately muting them and then um, laughing as my follow account <laughs> went down. <laughs> that didn't happen either. Oh dear. Uh, so we've got a lot to talk about, John, because you, of course, are not only making your Jcast debut, which is crazy to think about, really, because it seems like we've done loads of shows together. But um, yeah, this is the first time yeah. for you on the Super Jcast. You are also a uh, host of your own uh, occasional podcast, <laughs> Zing. <laughs> oh my God. So that was the U- that's the YouTube thing. No one's going to understand that. So the guy gets on that YouTube thing. I, all I, I think all I said was like, I hated the all anime event. Spoiler alert. Oh, it's really shocking that John hated the NXT match that main event at all in. Everybody was really shocked by that. So I think I said I hated the main event. And the guy, like, you know, nobody else in the in the chat really cares. They're talking back and forth about the main event's good. And all of a sudden, this this one person, uh, I don't remember his name, honestly, uh, just like jumps in with, uh, why don't you save your bad faith arguments for your occasional podcast? And I'm just like, what? 
Like what? Got him. <laughs> got him. <laughs> and Cracking all his the people in that one. The other people in the chat are just like, "Why? That is like the weirdest insult." And I'm like, "Yeah, it, it seems like he thinks I'm being restricted to only podcast occasionally or something." When it's like, "No, I'm basically retired. It is by choice. I do not want to do a show every week anymore." And I thought it was really funny if I say I do uh, Omakase once a year. Pretty much just when Tetsuya Naito does something. That's pretty much the only time I record. That's right. That's why it's the coolest podcast now, because it only appears when Naito does something cool. Yeah, because 2022... Well, technically, I had two episodes in 2022, because I did the... Like, the last weekly episode was, like, the 2021 awards on January 1st, I think. But then 2022, the only other episode I had was when Naito got in the Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, Me and the famous Mongo underscore eBooks did an episode basically just laughing at the Piss Babies who were mad about uh, Naito getting into the Hall of Fame. And then this year we did, me and Chris Samsa, if you, you know, like a week or two ago, however long ago it was, uh, did like a post-G1 podcast, which I'll be honest, I was going to do that anyway. I mean, I had all these, you know, I kept the spreadsheet and everything like I would normally do. And I was like, I might as well use this and make some content. But, you know, I Naito winning made it like, okay, well now definitely have to do it because we have to take a Naito victory lap. And then the 2024 one, I'm going to go to Wrestle Kingdom. I'm going to be in Japan anyway. Uh, I may as well record one on location when Naito probably wins the IWGP World Heavyweight title. You never know with Gato, but I'm assuming he's probably going to. But... Uh, you mean the Jeff Cobb versus Evil main event? Yes, definitely. Jeff Cobb versus... The, the title shot's not even on the line, though. I'm just like, now we're not doing that anymore, guys. I've decided. Yeah, if Jeff... Well, Naito told them at the press conference, he was like, uh, "If I want New Japan to think very strongly about what they're doing here, because if the title shot's not on the line, if there's no contract, I may just lose in five seconds. Uh, so apparently he's going <laughs> to lose in five seconds at Destruction of Kobe. The tickets are moving great. I don't know why they are, because you're getting a five-second match, apparently, between Naito and Cobb, because he already told you if the contract's not on the line, he's going to lose on purpose. So, And the contract's not on the line, folks. They're not doing it. So uh, well, I just thought that was very funny. Let me ask you this, John. If Naito entered the ring, wait for the match to begin, bell rings, and then he immediately exits the ring and just walks off and gets counted out, would that be any worse than the all-in main event? No, it would be significantly better. There you yeah, go. significantly. Because like, they didn't make me sit through like 30 minutes to get there. So definitely better. So Tetsuya, if you're listening, which I know you are, a big fan of the show, then you you have our blessing to do. How exactly does he have that. time it to would listen? Rule. How does he have time to listen to this when he has to book New Japan, though? Well, that's true. Maybe he's on the 25 hour day uh, Kota Ibushi schedule. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah we, we, there will be some New Japan talk presumably at some point uh, in this podcast. But uh, you know, we're here to talk wrestling, and it's weird, John. I feel like I may have watched some kind of wrestling on Sunday, but the news cycle has just erased all memory and discourse of it. Now we're just arguing about CM Punk again. The chick magnet. He is uh, at it again, as the kids say. I don't, it's like reading CM Punk fans, like trying to defend him is so funny because it always basically comes down to my hero can do whatever he wants. If he wants to fight the jungle boy, that he could fight the jungle boy. Like they have no other defense of this man. It's just like, well, you know, he makes all these shoot comments all the time and nobody tries to fight him. But if, uh, if Jack Perry says, uh, you know, makes a line about glass that like 95% of people watching probably had no fucking clue was even about CM Punk, then obviously he has no choice but to challenge him to a fight. 
I'm just like, do you like hear yourselves talk at some point here? I don't really get it. It's like you're you stand a psycho, okay? You can't defend a psycho. He's just a fucking psychopath. I like CM Punk. I saw him in Ring of Honor back in the day. You know, you could see me there in the front row. I was, you know, he was probably my favorite wrestler at the time. But like the man is a psychopath. I don't there's like no defending his, you know, behavior in this company. Yeah, for me as a neutral, because I don't have a dog in this fight, it's extremely entertaining. So I'm just there sort of shitposting on Twitter and just enjoying the ludicrous drama. But it is remarkable the way we've had this, you know, 80,000 capacity show, the biggest paid wrestling show in history. And there's absolutely zero discourse about the show or the quality of the matches or storyline directions going forward. It's all just what happened to CM Punk, whose fault it is, and just all these little caveats of the story coming up, you know, him having to make his own way from the airport and uh, the fight with Miller <laughs> oh, wasn't that joke. Oh, was my God. Much? He had to fucking... Joel, he had to find his way from Heathrow to a fucking uh, Wembley Stadium or the hotel or whatever. He's... Like, what the fuck is this story? You're in England. It's not even a foreign country where they speak a different language. They came up with the language. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, it's very difficult for Mr. Punk to get from the airport. Like, just get a fucking... It's not difficult to get from the airport to your hotel in a country where you don't speak the language. Like, buddy, you speak English. They also speak English. That's why it's named English. I don't... Like, I don't understand. This is where that language is from. I don't even know if it was Punk that necessarily weaponized that to become part of the narrative. Like, he might have been cool with it. I don't know. But just, I did enjoy the photos, all the Mark pictures of him, like, on the Elizabeth line. I could just imagine him just getting increasingly <laughs> irate as all these people approach him. He's like, oh, for fuck's sake. But, I mean, he, he's rich enough anyway. Surely he could have probably paid for a taxi from... Why didn't you fucking get call an Uber black? I don't understand. Right. Like, fu- you're, buddy, you're making, like, $7 million or whatever the fuck. Just call an Uber black. Who cares? But this is it is it is unbelievable. Just everything about All In is just in the bin <laughs> now compared to the arguing about CM Punk. That, uh, I feel, I feel like um, people still talked about the main event. That might be the only match that got through because it was so uh, divisive. I guess it was such a you know crazy did, match. Did sound divisive in Wembley Stadium. I'll tell you that. Well. You don't have to tell me that most Western wrestling fans like absolute bullshit nowadays. But yes, divisive online, I guess, in our little online circle. Um, you know, but the debate about that and like the WWE efficacy, I guess, of AEW, that kind of got through. But like the entire rest of the card may as well have not even happened because like nobody's talking about it. It's just all a little bit of the main event and a lot of CM Punk. And that's basically it. So. I mean, you touched on something there. That was one of my sort of biggest takeaways from going to the show and seeing the sort of people that went to the show and getting stuck in the massive queues to get into Wembley Park Station and get on the trains. People wearing, you know, the, the Belt Mutants, wearing WWE merchandise, doing WWE oh, yeah. charts, doing, oh my God, the incessant, the LA Knight, yeah. I know. Rick Flair, okay. Woos. It's WWE fans. This is not just a Wembley yeah. thing, because I just went to Collision in Newark a few weeks ago, and it was just all WWE fans. I mean, that's just who goes to these shows now. So, um you know, I mean, WWE is popular again. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's not. It's it, it, If this is what people like, you know, God bless them. I'm, I'm glad we have New Japan. That's all I'm going to say. Although we might yeah, not have I mean, New that... Japan in the U.S. much longer, but uh, <laughs> who fucking knows? 
Well, I, I mean, funnily enough, there was a very interesting uh, interview. I don't know if you've heard it with uh, Rocky Romero on the newest episode of Keeping It Strong Style. It was their 300th episode, so congratulations to those boys. Uh, but that's definitely worth a listen for some insight onto a possible future for New Japan Strong. But you know, going back to the point about the fans there, I, I feel they are there primarily, you know, they like the T-shirts, they like the slogans, the catchphrases, the sing-alongs, the charts, they're like a bit of plunder. A few people to go through a table. They're like, you know, some funny faces, some melodrama and some fireworks. That's what they're there for. They're there to have a good time. They're not you know, absolute nerds like us who actually want to see some pro wrestling in the pro wrestling show. Yeah. I mean, that's where this is going. It's going to go. It's going towards spectacle and melodrama, which is fine. It's just not, you know, I mean, I'm going to all out on Sunday. I mean, I don't know why I'm talking like, I don't, it's not like I dislike AEW or anything, but like so much of it is not for me right now, especially like all that fucking kangaroo kick bullshit. So, you know, if people, people like the pre-tapes, people like all that stuff and I'm not saying you can't like it, you know, it's just, never, it's never going to be my thing. So, you know. P- parts of it were good. I enjoy parts of it, and I guess this is sort of the nature of what AEW is. It doesn't have that sort of uniformity that WWE does, because obviously there's you know so many chefs in the kitchen that you, you get a little bit of everything. It's kind of like a variety show. So the parts of it I enjoy, but the stuff at the top, you know, we will get to it eventually. But um, I do just want to talk a bit about my experience with the weekend in general, because I was I was saying to you before we hit record, this was my first. Uh, live wrestling weekend or show since going to Wrestle Kingdom 14 in Tokyo. So it was just really nice to you know be there live in a venue at the, the Ref Pro show at Wembley, um, meeting all, you know, hanging out with cool people again, editor Dan and Sipsy, who I've watched the shows with, um, Curtis from the Akata Shorts podcast we saw, uh, met up with Paul and Andrew from Voices Wrestling, which was really nice, and a few people from the Discord like Nick and Ridian and Max. And, and just sort of being specifically at Wembley Stadium for All In. You know, for all the, the criticism I will throw at AEW, it did feel momentous. It felt like something historic and it it was WrestleMania adjacent. Like the production was right up there. It, it felt like this was something approaching the, I don't want to say the, the pinnacle of pro wrestling because it's not what I want to see in pro wrestling. But do, do you know what I'm saying? Like the, this feeling of being, an event that was special, even if the actual matches weren't to my taste. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it felt like a big deal even on TV, so I'm sure it felt like a really big deal there. I mean, again, I don't want people to get the idea that I hated the show. I thought no, it was a fun you, show overall, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was a good show. I mean, you know, like, match quality-wise, I had a couple four-star flat matches, um, some stuff in the threes. I mean, the only thing, the only stuff on the show I really hated uh was the main event and the the trios title match. Those are the only two things that I would be like, that sucked. Everything else was like fine to very, to very good. I mean, you know, AEW's had better pay-per-views, but like, you know, there was some, there was enough good stuff on the show and the, the spectacle of like seeing an AEW show in front of 80,000 people kind of elevates it even beyond like just the pure match quality. The big problem with the show to me is it has that WCW disease, you know, like the, in the WCW peak and like the, from like 96 to like 90, 96 and 97, where you got a really fun undercard, but because the show ended with such a fucking shitty main event, you let, you like came away from the show thinking the show was worse than it was, I guess. Cause you're closing with like a match that you actively hated. So that kind of effect, like it feels like a worse show 
in my head, especially in the moment after the show's over, than it actually was, I guess. Do you think that will be the legacy of this show? What? The CM Punk thing's a legacy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> I mean, Punk being a... This is the problem with having CM Punk. It's like him being a crazy person is always the legacy. I mean, you know. I mean, what are you gonna do? He had a great match on this show too, like for once. Yeah, finally. it's one of like, my favorite in, match on the show. Yeah, I I put like third favorite. I went like three and three quarters on it. It was really good. I mean, I don't know why. So he wrestles like a fourteen minute match here. It went thirteen fifty eight actually, almost exactly fourteen minutes. It was great, and he wrestled like a thirteen and a half minute match with Kojima back at Forbidden Door, and that was great. So why the fuck is he doing all these twenty to thirty minute matches on Collision every week that suck? Like, I don't get it. It's like, you, buddy, you're 45 years old. You don't have the cardio for this anymore. Like, you're sucking wind like 15 minutes into these matches. Just do these fucking 14-minute matches. And if this is what you can do and be great at it, then just do it. No one's going to be like, oh, look at Punk. He's washed up. He can only go 14 minutes. It's like, you're, he's 45 years old. That's, I don't know. I don't know why he's like, he, he, there's something he could do here that would be good and that he's shown he's good at lately. And he just, you know, insists on doing all these super long matches on Collision every week. It's very, uh, you know, when he's blown up in them all the time. It's very confusing. Well, I think analyzing the actual quality of the matches themselves is kind of irrelevant at the moment. So, you well, know, yeah, he, he might be, be... having six star classics, but if he's getting into backstage fights every time someone else does something, <laughs> you know, some sort right. of vague innuendo towards him, then it's it's a moot point, isn't it? But but I could. Me personally, I could overlook the backstage shit if he was more entertaining right now. Cause I just his week to week on collision is just so bad because he's like feuding with the entire roster, but not feuding with the entire roster and like barely built up this match with Joe. You know, I think he said like three words about him in the entire fucking lead up to this pay per view. And, you know, he has this, this that stupid fucking belt with the X on it. Can we talk about how dumb that belt is? It's like you, you're calling yourself the real world champion. Nobody else cares. Everybody else makes fun of the belt. The actual world champion could not give less of a shit. Like, have you ever seen him do an angle where somebody else is calling themselves the real champion and the current champion never says anything? Like, New Japan just did this angle with Shingo and Osprey, and the moment Osprey had that fake belt, Shingo immediately was like, he's not the champion. I'm the champion. Like, Shingo noticed it immediately, and they were separated by continents at the time. Osprey was in America and Shingo was on the other side of the world and he still took note of it immediately. MJF and Punk are, you know, on the same fucking show sometimes when MJF is on collision and MJF never acknowledges this real world champion bullshit. It's so stupid. So this belt is so dumb, the re- the actual world champion never even pays any attention to it. So all CM Punk does is he has a big fucking fake belt with a stupid X on it that basically tells you he cannot lose his matches when that thing is on the line, because there's no point. What would have been the point of Samoa Joe winning that fake belt? I mean, that belt only means something to CM Punk. It only means something until they do MJF versus Punk. So all that belt is, is like a big fucking spoiler that he's going to win his match. Other than that, I have no idea what the point of it is supposed to be. And it's kind of a heel move, but he's not a heel. So I, I don't know. Like, like is, there, is there a freakazoid out there who can explain this to me? Because it sure makes no sense to me. Although I, sh- I shouldn't even say that because the freakazoids all hate the Buck now. Justifiably so. But, uh, you know. But well, yeah, this is stupid. That sort of in, the, the interim title thing, when New Japan did it, there is enough faith uh, for us in the booking of the company that 
we know, okay, that's going to culminate at the biggest show of the year, and we're going to find out once and for all who is the real world champion. But with AEW, I just don't have that faith. I'm just sort of shrugging my shoulders. Like, is there going to be a unification match? Maybe, you know, if, if one or more of the wrestlers don't get fired and at some point in the future, then maybe they'll get up to it. Who knows? So I'm just well, sort of shrugging we... my shoulders at this point. Now we need an interim real AEW world champion. <laughs> so you know that we will find out on Sunday. Ricky Starks can win the interim uh, X belt. And then he can win the interim straight edge title or whatever. And then uh, they can fight for that. They're going to spread question mark on top of the X. <laughs> no question mark. That's great. Actually, that's perfect. He has another version of the world title with a question mark instead of the X. Just have a massive uh, tournament at the end to, to unify them all. But uh, anyway, let's uh, talk about some of the matches again. I'm not going to go through all of them. I mean, you stop me if there's any specific ones you want to talk about. But ones that have okay. kind of sort of tangential New Japan interest, which, of course, you know, we'll start off on the uh, the zero-hour pre-show. So we have... <laughs> <laughs> <This was your laughs> <guy. God. laughs> they loved you for this. They loved you for this. They one. certainly they did. You so, know, okay. Is... For, oh, i got to say this. For a fucking month and a half, all I heard from the Freakazoids and the AEW Discord, uh, AEW channel, the Discord was over and over again when I would be like, hey, this feud makes Aussie Open look pretty stupid. Because especially there was one week where they, Adam Cole and MJF, aired that fucking video where they were like, oh, Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> like they're making all these stupid jokes. Crocodile Dundee, like all this hack material that like, you know, no self-respecting comic would even bother to use. And they made Aussie Open like, look like total jokes. And at the end of the night, Aussie Open tried to jump them. And I was like, oh, okay, they're going to get the better of them here and run them off. And instead, MJF and Cole, despite being be attacked by from behind, just fucking recovered and fought them off like nothing. And then MJF threatened the kangaroo kick. And Kyle Fletcher running in fear like, oh, please don't give me the fucking kangaroo kick. So MJF and Cole run away in fear from this fuck, Or I mean, uh, Aussie Open run away in fear from these two men who just made fun of them and their entire nation. And all I'm told when I say when I said this was stupid was, well, they're going to win at Wembley Stadium, you know. I mean, they're obviously going to beat them. And according to Cage, I didn't actually see the match. I didn't. Uh, I, I slept pretty late that day. I didn't wake up in time. Uh, better than you, baby. It says right here: Adam Cole and MJF defeat Aussie Open in six minutes and fifty-eight seconds to become the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. They didn't win the match in the end, Joel. They in fact no, lost. It's weird, isn't it? So. And I somehow managed to cause critical psychic damage to the entire AW <laughs> fan base by um, referring to Aussie Open as pre-show comedy jobbers. Uh, John, as the Burbos That's what they are. Say, That's what they tell are. me when I'm telling lies. No, no, no. That's what they are. They fucking, they were made fun of by the world champion and his challenger. They ran in fear from the world champion's stupid fucking comedy move. He hit the comedy move on them and they hit a double clothesline and pinned them. What else are they? They're comedy jobbers. I don't know what else to say. And can we stop with the fucking, oh, well, think about the money they're making. Are you their, are you their accountant? Like, are you, are you their agent? Are you getting a cut of this? Why do you give a shit how much money they made to be comedy jobbers in the open on Wembley Stadium? Like, this is, like, I don't even think AW fans realize just how far they've fallen into WWE fan defenses when they have to fucking bring up their bank accounts. Like, I don't give a shit if they're making a billion dollars for the fucking match. It's still stupid, and they're still comedy jobbers. 
yeah, it was just sad for me because I, you know, we know Aussie Open are one of probably one of the best tag teams in the world. Started off the year absolutely on fire. Strong case for being tag team of the year. And now they are, it is accurate to say, undercard comedy jumpers. I mean, maybe they'll, they'll get pushed at some point. I don't care at this point because, the, again, their legacy in this show, the, you know, the biggest paid wrestling show in history is pre-show comedy jobbers. That's what it is. That's the mark they've left on the show. And it's sad for me because I like to see the good wrestlers having good wrestling matches on the wrestling John, show. And what do you think? But, but if... think of the money. Think of <laughs> yeah, the okay, money. So is, is this what we want? The, the future of wrestling shows, uh, the bell rings and both the wrestlers just show their bank statements and the crowd just <laughs> applauds for how much money they're making. Yes. Is that what people want to see? <laughs> That's what, I guess so. I'm like, whenever they start talking about that money, I'm just like, they're, they're not giving you a cut. Why do you care? Why is this a defense of what they're doing? I don't understand. Like, I've never got... It never made sense to me when WWE fans used to do this. And it definitely doesn't make sense to me now that AEW fans are doing it. So, like, oh, we make lots of money. Oh, we have the US TV revenue. Like, yes, we understand that AEW makes lots of money. Believe me. New Japan understands it. I, you heard, heard them complain about it, basically, uh, during their during their re- recent uh, financial... Uh, whatever the fuck you call it. Financial presentation. I mean, we all get it. It doesn't mean this is good. It just means they did stupid bullshit and got paid a lot of money to do it. I mean, like, what are what are we doing here? That's a defense. Like, if you just want to go watch whatever the most... Because the two things they love to do, the AEW fans now, is A, appeal to popularity, and B, appeal to, to bank account. Like, appeal to how much money it's making. If you're just looking to go watch the most popular wrestling that makes the most money, I hate to tell you, you better be going to watch WWE. Like, do you keep the same energy for the bloodline or whatever the fuck is going on in WWE at the time? And maybe they do. I don't know. But unless you do, um, you know, I don't know why you're using that as a defense. But anyway. <laughs> and when Aussie Open signed with AEW, they did make a big song and dance about how, oh, you know, we're still free to work New Japan shows. Yeah, that's really happening. <laughs> Right, I was going to say, do you well, give me a percentage chance that we see Aussie Open in a New Japan ring, or, or you know, World Tag League, or something like that? No, zero. They might do Wrestle Kingdom. Not happening. Wrestle Kingdom. I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me if they did Wrestle Kingdom or something. But, but like World Tag League, zero percent. Yeah, I mean, maybe we could squeeze them in the the pre-show at Wrestle Kingdom and have some sort of match with Yano because that, that seems to be <laughs> all they're good for the these days. Yeah, it's just so it, it it sucks so bad because like like you said they're gonna make my match of the year list this year probably. I mean, I went four and three quarters on their match with uh, Bishamon back in Sakura Genesis. That match was incredible, and here they are uh, losing the pre-show. But they made lots of money. Oh, okay, they made lots of money. I'm glad you get a cut, buddy. Oh, okay, so next we have the FTW title match. <laughs> You're gonna love uh, this episode, John. I know. I can. It. I can see. I can imagine already all the complaints are gonna get. Oh, this is fucking shit. Blah, blah, blah. But, um, <laughs> as I said all along, this podcast is here solely for my own amusement. So as long as I'm having fun, that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the main show. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, all right. So CM Punk. Against Samoa I mean, we kind of talked about that already. The six-man tag match, I mean, that's sort of got some New Japan interest in it because five out of the six guys in this uh, worked in the uh, 2018 G1, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So uh, Jay White, Juice Robinson, um, Adam Page, Kenny Omega, Ibushi. So yeah, everyone apart from Takeshita worked uh, worked in the G1. So, I mean, the match was fine. It just, it, it again, oh, I love just this made match. me... You know, AW super fan here because I, I thought this was awesome. 
Yeah, t- tell me, what did you enjoy about it in particular? I don't know. I thought like I, it was like a really fun six man tag. I don't know, like this, it, it maybe this was like the one match on the show that I felt like you could have plopped down onto the Destruction Tour or something. Like it really felt like a, yeah. a very Japanese style match, which made sense because all these, like we just said, five out of these six guys worked in New Japan. The other one, uh, you know, worked in DDT, obviously. But they did like a very Japanese style, like kind of like a Rotu tag, honestly, which is funny because obviously they're in the biggest building of all time. But like it felt like a very high quality version of a Rotu tag. Like I went, I went four stars flat on this. It was probably my match of the night. And I thought it was, a, you know, I had a really good time with that. I thought it was awesome. You know, Coda still looking a little rough. I mean, I, I don't think we're breaking any news there. I mean, you know, he looks like, I, I can't really tell if he's actually like washed at this point or if it's just like ring rust and he's not working a hard enough schedule to uh, shake off the ring rust. But either way, he didn't, he's probably the weak link in the match, but everybody else looked really good. Um it was just cool watching like Jay and Abushi stare each other down again, you know, obviously uh, for their New Japan rivalry. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with this match. I thought it was pretty awesome. Went, it went over 20 minutes and, you know, it felt like, uh, felt like a little, I don't know if love letter to Japanese wrestling is the right word, but it just felt like a Japanese wrestling match. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. I, and I enjoyed it a lot as well. I think the complaint I was going to have is that I would have loved to have seen some of these guys in prominent singles matches rather than a six-man wow. tag. But um, Sorry, I mean, buddy. This, this Chica- is... We got that in Chi-Town. Takeshi yeah. and Omega, baby. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the presentation of Takeshi. I thought his entrance, I really love his entrance music and that, you know, ridiculous painting thing on the, the Titan Tron of him and Callis. And uh, he was really good at the match. His counter to the, was it the, the Kamigoya when he just sort of popped up and kneed it machine in the face. That was very, very cool. So uh, yeah. very envious for you because I wanted that to catch the Omega match at Wembley. So yeah, I mean, that. like I'm that, that like the whole draw for me for this weekend, because I'm sure people listening to this, like, why do you even go to this show? Uh, it sounds like you fucking hate AEW. I'm like, first of all, I like a lot of the wrestlers in AEW. It's just like the booking and the presentation is uh, where they lose me sometimes. But second of all, you know, the main draw is like the the forces of wrestling, you know, gathering, you know, like where we have a suite at the arena, we have the barbecue at Sam's place. So like, that's really the main draw. And like, you know, New York to Chicago is not a long, very long flight anyway. But when they announced the all out card, and you know, they announced that we get, well, that was rumored for weeks that we were getting Kenny versus Takeshi to here instead of all in. I was just like, well, that doesn't really make any sense that you do the match here instead of at the biggest show of all time. But I'll take it. Thank you very much. It's like, may I have another? <laughs> Please go ahead and give me this possible match of the year contender uh, at the show I'm going to, mostly to get fucked up on free booze in the suite. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's not going to miss. And again, like, I'm not going to sit here and say all of AEW is trash. It's not. That's why I find it a frustrating promotion to watch because they've got an incredible roster, but sometimes, well, a lot of the time, don't deliver on the promise of that roster. But um, yeah, the, the I, I'm, booking, I'm confident... especially especially this year has gotten really kind of bad. Um, yeah. So we're all looking forward to Tony Khan winning a Booker of the year this year. I know. Which is he's, absolutely going to happen. It's he's not. I, I, I honestly think the observer people might give it to Hunter, which would also be a joke, but not be as big of a joke as Tony Khan winning it again, because his booking this year, I mean, I, I've never loved his booking as much as some people, but like, you know, I could see, the baseline level of competence. And this year it's just evaporated. I mean, this year you could just, 
you know, he's got too many WWE people in the room. He's booking everything week to week. It's just, it's very bad. Like it's the, the roster being so incredibly talented kind of saves their asses a lot of the time. And, you know, they put on good shows at, despite the booking, but the booking is pretty horrible. I mean, the only, what, what long-term stories were on this show? There was a long-term story about Billy fucking Gunn. And that's like and a long-term story uh, with MGF and Cole that's like straight out of NXT. And now it's pretty much it. I mean, what did the women get? You know, I'm sure we're going to get to it, but like they got eight minutes. a fucking that's what four, they got. They got eight minutes and 43 seconds. I, I cannot believe the pass that they got from people for that. Like they got what the entire gender got one fucking match on this, the biggest show of all time, quote unquote. And it went eight minutes and 43 seconds. That is insane. Like, I are, are, are like those people used to watch with the stopwatches, they all dead? Like, I didn't see anything. Well, that, that's what I mean when I said at the start of the show that any discourse from the card has just been completely evaporated by the the nuclear CM Punk bomb. So, yeah. you know, maybe if, if he hadn't been such a lunatic, then there might be some discussions about that. But no, I, didn't yeah, even, I, mean, I didn't even see anything leading up to the show, though, when there was only one woman's match booked on the entire card. Like, how did they get away with not even putting, like, a fucking six-woman tag on the pre-show? Like, that's the mm. part where I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, they really only booked one women's match of the entire five hour show whatever it was just insane mask off a mask off moment for tony (laughs) khan i'm like jeez i i just don't like i get the women's division is pretty bad but like you could try a little bit i mean you could pretend to try it's like they don't even pretend at this point it's really something i'll say this the non-existent new japan women's division is better than the aw one i have made this point so many times because it's not even just it's not even just the fact that like Obviously, you know, the New Japan women are better because they're the stardom women most of the time. But, like, when we get to it, that Impact New Japan show, they also had one women's match on the show, and it was a four-way match. But, like, the crowd was so fucking into that match that Julia might have been the most over person in Philadelphia that night. And, like, they they got, you know, a little more time than the AW. They got 12-22. But, like, the match was super over, and, like, the crowd there was super into it. And again, new, sometimes AEW people were like, oh, well, is the New Japan Women's Division so much better? It doesn't exist. It did not exist at all before November 2022. Like, they've never done this before, and they're already doing it better than AEW, an American wrestling promotion. That is a fucking joke. Like, do you not understand? Any comparison between these two things is very bad for AEW's Women's Division, let alone the fact that, like, all these New Japan Women's matches are more over than anything AEW has done in their women's division all year. It's just crazy to me. Every single AEW show I got to, I'm sure, I don't know if this is true for you uh, at Wembley. It probably was. Every AEW show I went to this year, every time a women's match came on, people leaped out of their seats, just fucking jumped up, yes. ran to the concourse, going for those chicken fingers, going to take a piss. <laughs> like, like, you've never, Forbidden Door especially, I have never seen that many people leave the building at once. It was like, Somebody, uh, one of the other voice wrestling people who was there, Jeremy Sexton, I think, he backed me up on this where he was like, I have never, I've been to so many wrestling shows. I've never seen that many people get up at once when the match was starting as they did for the, that, uh, I believe it was Willow and Tony Storm. The entire building emptied out practically. That's what it looked like. I could not believe how much, how many people left for that. And it's, be- it's not because AW fans are naturally sexist, which, you know, some of them are. 
But like, it's not, it's not like AEW naturally has the most sexist fan base that's ever existed. You know, it's because they've done, they've had it drilled in their brains that this women's division could not matter fucking less if the AEW tried. And why do they have that drilled in their brains? Because they have one fucking match on the biggest show of all time, and it went eight minutes and 43 seconds, and it was a meaningless four-way with absolutely nothing behind it. So not only that, but they <laughs> they put the belt on probably the worst the rest <laughs> yeah, of the entire too. division. They put the belt on the on fucking Soraya. Oh god, yeah, the AW fans are gonna love this podcast, baby. <laughs> oh, gonna, I do want to say really some nice things. So, uh, we had FTR versus the Unbites. Honestly, I thought very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, FTR. I thought their New Japan matches, all of their New Japan matches, were better than this one. I think just something felt really off here. Three stars. I don't know what the hell was going on. It just felt... I was ready to go lower than that. Uh, lower than three. But, like, it did kind of pick up towards the end. But it was just so... It was, like, 21-46 going to cage match. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, it just felt very disjointed early on. There was, like, a, a long period where it felt like uh, the fucking bald one, uh, Dax Harwood and Matt Jackson, were just, like, wrestling a, a boring singles match. And I was like, where the hell is Nick and, and the fucking gunslinger? Like where's Nick and where's Nick and Cash? I don't. Like, Cash I don't is they... reloading his, his weapon. <laughs> Cash is like, uh, you know, Cash has got bigger things to worry about. But anyway, yeah, I don't, they, like where the fuck are they? They just felt like they were gone forever, and you know, I don't know. Like this match was really disappointing. I didn't think it was that good. They don't um, have good chemistry, these two teams, and you know, you'd yeah. expect an epic from them. But I found all the matches they've had of. Have just kind of missed the mark for me I've, you know both teams have had way better matches with different opponents yeah i mean i was i was looking forward to this it was just very disappointing so uh the next match was good though i mean the stadium stampede you know i had a lot of fun with this i went it's one of those matches where like i don't really know how to rate it because it's like for what they were doing it was fucking awesome um it's just a, a tough match for me to be like you know i saw people going really high on it i mean it has like an it has an 8.02 on cage match and I gave it four stars. So I guess I'm like right in line with the average, which always happens for me with uh, AEW. Let me tell you. Uh, but, but yeah, this was like a, you know, it's like a very chaotic match. If it's the kind of match that feels a little difficult to rate, but I had a really good time with it, you know, especially one when the, uh, the only complaint I would really have is that the, the crack, the crack production crew over AEW was, uh, doing too many cuts, especially at the start, where it'd be like, can we can we see a move? Like, do you have to cut away mid-move constantly? But I get it. There's five guys on each team. It's hard, and they're all over the place. It's hard to keep track, but it felt like they did not do a very good job, especially at the start. It got better later on, but especially at the start, it felt like they were trying to cut between everything too much. Yeah, it was good fun. I enjoyed this one. I mean, we had... Um... Claudio oh, you were there, so you don't Eddie, have that problem. Yeah, but well, <laughs> Claudio and Eddie Kingston were brawling like right in front of us, and then they went upstairs and were brawling in the tier above us. And um, Zipsy, who I was with, was speculating that one of them might get thrown off the side, and like because they had all the the seats obviously behind the entrance tarped off, and he was like, "Oh, there's going to be like a crash pad behind one of them. Someone's getting thrown off the side of the stadium." And then when it didn't happen, I was a bit disappointed, but it was a fun match. Uh, overall, the, the camera stuff was interesting because I can't remember who it was, but I think one of them put, might have been Trent or Chuck Taylor, one of them went through a table and then the camera zoomed right in and you could see him sort of like patting the other guy on the face like, yeah, good job, buddy, <laughs> which kind of took me out of it a little bit. But uh, that it, it was fine. I mean, I don't usually enjoy these sorts of matches, but it was, you know, good atmosphere to it. It was fun. It was well-paced. It was, yeah, it was good. I liked it. 
Women's Forum we kind of talked about already. Uh, you know, very uh, big on equality here in the All Elite Wrestling. Uh, the Coffin Tag Title ma- Tag Team Match. Um, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was Darby and Sting beating Christian and Swerve in fifteen fifty. I went three and a half stars on it. I thought it was a good match. Um, Entrance was probably the highlight of it. That was yeah, pretty great. Was the, it? Was it Seek and Destroy? Is that the name of the song they yeah, came out to? They got they got the Sting the old Sting Metallica song. So that was cool. Yeah, and Darby Allen took some crazy coffin drop bumps, uh, including onto a coffin. So that's, that's about all you want, really. Um, Swerve came across as a really big star. People were really into him. So I think he's yeah. a guy that I would love well, to see them do more with. Well, he's one of the he's one of these like millions of young wrestlers in AEW that like feels like they should be getting a bigger push than they get pretty much constantly. Like why they like we were talking about this in the voice wrestling Slack the other day, but like it feels like AEW never makes anybody like for for a young guy besides MJF. Like when when New Japan, which you know uh, people hate these comparisons, but we are on a New Japan podcast. When New Japan is ready to like push a young guy, they're just like okay. Well, Osprey, it's your turn. You're going to beat Okada in the G1 via interference. You're going to win the New Japan Cup. You're going to beat Kota Ibushi uh, for the Water Road title. And that's it. You're just a top guy now. Uh, so now, when it's your turn, you're going to beat Naito. You're going to leave the unit. You're going to win the New Japan Cup. And you're going to win the world title. And you're you're a guy now. Um, there's a third guy I was thinking of, too, where I'm just like, they just, they just look at a guy and they're like, that's it. You're a guy. I mean, that's it. It feels like AEW never does that. I mean, they did it with MJF. That's the one guy they they did it with. But, but it feels like they never do it with a guy like Swerve, where it's like, you know, it'd be good if you had more than one young main eventer here. It'd be good if you had like three or four of these guys. And it feels like they never do that with Swerve. You know, Swerve would be a, a prime candidate to just like beat some main eventers, keep it going, and just be a main eventer. They never do it with Darby. Uh, they don't even do it with guys like Sammy and Jack Perry that like, you know, I don't even know if I really want them to do it, but they don't do it with anybody. I mean, they just kind of have their established group and then they just have MJF. And then it feels like just a million young wrestlers who just kind of are on a treadmill. So I don't know, like that aspect of their booking, I feel like does not get nearly enough criticism. It's like, they just don't push younger wrestlers. So. Well, let's move on then to talk uh, Will Ospreay against Chris Jericho. <laughs> Joel's Lin- like, I'm done with the new, with the AW hate. They're going to hate me enough for this. I wish I could think I like Swerve well enough. I mean, Swerve, he, he worked some new uh, strong dates, didn't he? And I remember watching him and reviewing those and thinking, yeah, this guy's really talented, got a lot of upsides. You know, Crowder and Tim, New Japan could do something with this guy. But he, as you say, he's just been sort of swallowed up into sort of mid-card purgatory. I mean, even Takeshita would be another guy who... I, I can see that there is a design of a push there, but it, they, they're not able to sort of keep the momentum going. It's a two sort of stop start for it to feel hot and to really strike while the iron is hot. But um, yes, yeah, I looked this up by the way. the The third guy I use this example is a very funny one. I use Jay White. Jay White, this argument because he's here and you should be making him a top guy, and he ain't a fucking top guy, no matter what AEW fans will try to tell you. So I don't know. It's just really like just just make a guy. Just make some guys. Like it's not really that hard. Just push them. Just have them beat the top guys, and then they're top guys. I mean, it feels like they never do that. Instead, we got the endless fucking MJF and Adam Cole feud. And you know, I don't know. It's like they the top oh. guys in AEW are the, the guys who jumped from WWE, basically, right? I mean, it's Adam Cole, John Moxley, Chris Jericho, uh, Punk, Punk, 
And then you have like Kenny Omega who didn't jump from WWE, but he, he did jump from somewhere else. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like it, it never feels like they really make their own guys. The only guy you could argue they made other than MJF is Hangman Adam Page. And he like never appears on the shows anymore. So, you know, I don't know. Just I don't get I just I don't get sometimes why they don't get more criticism for that, but I don't know. <laughs> well, I think we we are likely to see that with Osprey if he says. I would, I would hope. I would hope. Um, I mean the 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 pageantry for this match was really spectacular. I mean, I'm not a huge Jericho fan. I'm not a huge Fozzie fan, but there was something really compelling about the you know him doing the little Freddie Mercury tribute spot and the live performance with Judas and everyone was singing along. That was really great. So I, I, I enjoyed that. That's exactly the sort of thing I think you want at one of these big stadium shows. And it, the the match itself was it was okay. I mean, it, it was not one of, I think, sort of Will Ospreay shits out better matches than these in the dog days of a, a grade one climax. But I thought he did well, considering Jericho's physical limitations. The match was pretty good. But, I mean, the presentation of Will Ospreay, like a clarion call there. Like, we all know he he's outgrown New Japan. Just seeing him in this stadium with all the buzz he's getting, the, the pyro he got, just the placement of him on this card, it feels like, absolute nailed on he's joining AEW next year right yeah i mean he's he's going i mean i don't know really no argument they're staying um but yeah i thought this match was pretty good i went three and a quarter um you know i was i was honestly gonna go higher until jericho like fell apart towards the end because you see that the total the total fuck up on the oz cutter and then also like when he really couldn't go up for the the uh the big power bomb that osprey does where he like kind of jumps in through it or something like i don't know how to describe it really everyone will know what i'm talking about they look if they see the move where he like kind of like flips into the power bomb i guess is the better way to put it like jericho just kind of mistimed it so he he really couldn't hang with osprey in the end but i mean he's fucking old at this point you know it's not really that surprising but the rest of the match was still enjoyable enough i went like three and a quarter um you know the spectacle of it was cool i don't really know why they did all that work making osprey the heel and the feud and give, putting him back with Don Callis when uh, he was, they were just going to have him obviously be the baby face at Wembley anyway. Um, maybe that's for something long-term. I don't know. It's just very weird because after, I don't know if you remember after forbidden door, he basically told Don Callis. Yeah. Um, I don't like you. I don't trust you get lost, which is smart considering Don Callis had just turned on the last big guy he was with with Kenny Omega and, you know, he basically, well, Osprey basically was like, you know, I used you to get the U.S. title back. Now they have the U.S. title back, you can get lost. And I was like, okay, good. That's smart of his character. And then he shows back up on Dynamite a few weeks ago and is just teaming with Don Callis again. So I'm like, what? Like, what is going? And they never really explained that. It's not like he ever did a promo. I guess the most they explained it was Osprey saying, like, he needs some money for his, his step kid or whatever. But, like, other than that, they didn't give any explanation for why Osprey would go back with this guy that he basically said was a scumbag. So, very confusing. But give me a percentage chance match. that you, that you the, the likelihood of Osprey headlining next year's All In at Wembley and winning the AW hmm. title. I don't know. Thirty. I mean, the, the only thing I'm worried about is them doing MJF call again. But... Christ. I feel, like I feel like they're going to try to stretch that out as long as possible. So I'm a little worried, but 
Well, if maybe, they did that, at least, at least well. that would mean I can stay at home and watch it from the comfort <laughs> of my sofa rather than going all the way up to London. Uh, and Lewis writes in and said, Joel, from your seat at All In, how much of the audience did you see doing the Empire Crown hand sign uh, during the Aussie Open match or the Will Osprey match? Not many people at Wembley. I think at the Rev Pro show, everyone was doing it. But at Wembley, no, I think they're the the most of the fans in Wembley Stadium probably unaware of New Japan Pro Wrestling. That, that's the vibe I got anyway. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, the Rev Pro show, it seemed like everybody knew everybody, but, yeah. you know, that's like what, like, how many, they drew like 4,000, I think, right? 4,000, yeah. I mean, we'll get on to yeah. that, but, um, yeah, the, the whole weekend almost felt like a like a celebration of Will Ospreay, as nauseating as that might be to some people, but, you know, re- real sort of coming out party for him. Um, anyway, we had the World Trios title. I, I like the acclaim to their sort of guilty pleasure of mine. I like the sort of the rap dissing things that uh, Max Caster does. He, he had a good one here. Um, my only question for this match, Brody King, w- would this match have taken place before or after he punched the wall slash locker? I don't I think after. So, yeah, this sucked. I don't know. I mean, I have nothing against the acclaim. The raps are funny. I don't know why did the big storyline that we had to get months and months of a uh, build for for the show was for Billy Gunn. I mean, again, couldn't that be better used on a young wrestler? But well, no, New Japan got mocked for uh, featuring Billy Gunn heavily. Was it their 2018? Was it <laughs> they the, did, the show yeah. they did? They wrestled Tanahashi <laughs> or something? Well, look, now who's laughing, I guess? Now it's good, Joel, because AEW did so. <laughs> yeah, well, look how much money he's making. That automatically yeah. makes it good and cool. I don't, I don't remember any New Japan fans saying that was good five years ago, but now five years later when AEW does it, it's good, so. Uh, uh, yeah, this this match sucked. I went like one and three quarters on. This was like, it was pretty fucking bad. So, moving on then to I don't even main event. Main event. Um, <laughs> MJF defeat Adam Cole in twenty seven minutes. It, it was not a wrestling match. It was a, a slapstick comedy routine. And I was just I don't know if you ever watched The Office, like the the Tim slash Jim character where he sort of pulls incredulous faces at the camera. That was me throughout this match. And I thought the match was going to be bad. I had low expectations for it, but I kind of sort of talked myself into thinking, I oh, know maybe it will be good. Like when one of them finally turns on the other and it actually turns into like, you know, a heated match and they start going for each other. Like the bit when he did the, the, the brain buster on the steps. I was okay. like, okay, now we're cooking. This, this could <laughs> that be was, good now. That was my exact reaction too, because that's such a sick spot. He drops him neck first on the ring steps. It looks like he murders him. And I'm like, okay, it's mask off time for Adam Cole. Now he's got, he's you know, he's showing that he is the, the the real heel here. The whole He was playing MJF all along. And then later on in the same match, he won't give this man a belt shot. I'm like, sir, you just tried to murder him on the ring steps, but now he's your friend and you can't hit him with a title belt? What the fuck are you talking about? So my theory of this, and I'm going to I'm gonna throw this out there and see if anybody agrees with me. I think Cole was originally supposed to be the heel. It, it did make, it was supposed to come out as the heel here, which would make sense for the storyline where, you know, it started out with Cole basically saying he can see through MJF and being like the only person in a long time who can manipulate MJF to get what he wants. And, so I think Cole was going to be revealed as a heel the whole time. And I think when they laid out the match, they did, they had that spot, the, the, the neck breaker or the brain buster on the steps as like the big turning point where Cole, you know, is revealed is going to eventually be revealed as the heel. He like destroys him with this brain buster. Then 
they notice these quarter hours on the, on Dynamite. They're like, well, people love this team. They cheer for them like crazy on Dynamites. It doesn't draw fans to the arenas, but anyway, they do love the team. And the because uh, if you look, they haven't looked at AW's ticket sales for September. They're pretty rough in America, but and they and before anybody tells me, oh, they had eighty one thousand here. They sold almost the entire building before long before we knew this was going to be the main event. But anyway, um, so yeah, they they saw the quarter hours. They saw how hot it was in, in the buildings, and they're like, well, we want to keep it going. We want to keep them together as a team. So they changed it. So we got the stupid non-ending we got where MGF rolls him up and then says, Adam, you want the title belt? Just take it. And like throws it at him, which was so stupid. And, um, you know, so they kept that spot in. But I'm like, why would you keep that Brainbuster spot if you're not going to make Cole the heel? It doesn't make any sense. It makes the rest of the match look fucking stupid. It makes MJF look like an idiot where he's like, I can't t- give the Adam Cole a tombstone on the table two seconds after he just got dropped on his fucking skull on steel in a way sicker looking bump than a tombstone on a table. So it made yeah, if they like taken that out, it still would have been a stupid match, but at least it would have made sense. It would have made internal sense that it didn't make. Like it made MJF look like an idiot and it made Adam Cole look borderline schizophrenic. Because I'm like, why are you going from I'm willing to kill this man, dropping him on a on the ring step for the brain buster, to like being all torn up inside about doing further damage? I'm like, you already killed him on these fucking ring steps. Like, why you why are you now conflicted about you know hitting him with a belt shot or whatever? I don't know. The match was fucking stupid. It was everything I hate about American pro wrestling nowadays. All these NXT stupid matches I hated with Adam Cole looking at his hands. How am I so violent? I mean, I guess that was Gargano, but uh, but Cole was doing it here too. It's like, you know, uh, feeling really uh, conflicted about everything. It just, I I hate this stuff. I it's like two. It doesn't make any sense that two friends would agree to do a world title match against each other and not go all out against each other. Like, isn't it insulting that they would agree to take the match and not like just go all out and try to beat each other? Like in real, I'm I'm not a huge MMA fan, but I've heard of MMA fights where like somebody refused to fight their friend because they knew they couldn't go all out against them. Like if this is was real and you really were not didn't think you could fight your friend, you just wouldn't do the fucking match, you know? Like you just wouldn't take the match. The two of them agreeing to do the match and then like not wanting to hurt each other doesn't make any fucking sense. So. You know what this was, John? This was that um, 2017 Best of the Super Juniors match between, was it Taichi and Takamichi and Oku? That, yes. but <laughs> extended to but that was half fun. an hour and put as a main event as <laughs> the, the biggest wrestling show of all time. I don't know. I Wait, wouldn't even <laughs> compare that because Taichi and Taka at least were both trying to win. Like they were both like doing all this stupid cheating yes, and stuff. They were no, trying that's to true. It was way better. They were, they were trying to out-cheat each other. <laughs> like here they were just like, I could win, but oh, brochacho. I'm just like, all right, this... This is like I gave this a dud, like I gave this zero stars. That's what I give. It's this not a wrestling match. It's not a wrestling I hate, match. I mean, we we I know that MJF is running the show as far as his own programs go, and we know he is completely WWE pilled. It's what he grew up loving. This is what he wants to do. But I, I mean, I have to kind of respect the sheer audacity of doing a, a slapstick comedy shenanigans match in again the the main event of the biggest paid wrestling show of all time. I mean, I can't believe at, at no point they must have been like are we really going to do this should we maybe like have a proper good wrestling match nah nah let's go ahead with i i would just 
it, I, my expectations for this were low, and they somehow managed to plumb the depths way, way further down than I could ever have expected. I'm, I'm almost sort of wanted to applaud them at the end just for the sheer in- incredulity of what they managed to deliver out there. I've just, I was speechless by the end of it. I mean, I'm, uh, I will say the cage match rating on, only being at eight point six seven, which is like, you know, barely above four and a quarter. That has restored my faith in humanity a little bit. Because I really thought there was going to be like a fucking 9.78 or something. You know, I thought that people were going to say it was just like one of the best matches of the year. And you can see those people if you go in the voting, you know, people giving it a 10 or a 9. But like, I, I just hopefully there's still enough people out there that like wrestling. Because this isn't wrestling. This is just, you know, this is bloodline. This is community theater. Like, this is what it is. If you like the stuff, I guess now you have two American promotions where you can enjoy it. And, you know, good for you. Hopefully, Will Ospreay yeah. is the only person jumping to uh, to do more of this community theater and not uh, not the other rumored names. But anyway, oh, some other uh, AEW bits and pieces. So Tony Khan has announced a new AEW pay per view, Wrestle Dream, for <laughs> October first in Seattle. So he was speaking during the post All In press conference, and he said the show would mark the anniversary of the passing of Antonio Inoki, and added that he expect he expected the cooperation of New Japan for the show. So it's worth noting here that pretty much all the New Japan talent are booked for shows in Japan at that time. Apart from, I think it was Zach, Osprey, Bishamon, Cash 2-2, I don't know if they count, but yeah, there's going to be, unless they start, New Japan start moving things around for those shows, I will be surprised to see a great deal of New Japan involvement for that. But uh, we have questions on this. Hannibal says, everyone will ask that, maybe it's just me, but AEW doing an Inoki tribute show just makes it feel cynical and exploitative to me, especially on the day they're proposed to do it, which will have minimal involvement from New Japan. What do you guys think about the Inoki Memorial Wrestle Dream show announcement? Um, I don't know. I'm like, it's like a cynic, cynicism and wrestling. Oh. It's like, I, don't know. I didn't really, I would have really been upset by it. I'm just more like, um, if anyone is, I hope no one's buying their ticket expecting Forbidden Door too, because you're you're not getting that. Um, it's probably not a bad idea if they're going to go to these twelve pay per views a year, which it sounds like they're going to do. Um, it's probably not a bad idea to do like a mini Forbidden Door, like because the you know the the main Forbidden, forbidden Cat door, Flap, exactly. Uh, forbidden Cat Flap, Forbidden Doggy Door. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not a bad idea because. Forbidden Door is awesome. I mean, it's pretty much the best show of the year, certainly the best show in America. And you have this partner with a great roster. You might as well use more than once a year. But, like, obviously it would have been better if they picked a date that uh, wasn't a date that New Japan is in the middle of a tour in Japan. But, you know, maybe they'll be able to adjust that next year, you know, make the scheduling work better uh, than it does this year. But, I mean, you know, there's so many possibilities for the for the Anoki tribute, like, uh, Tony Khan can charge in the ring and call off the next fucking horrible uh, MJF fucking <laughs> play match or whatever the community theater, or he could he could like start throwing chairs and yell about how they need to, to call the match off, or we could have you know a reverse Anoki instead of everybody wind like Anoki uh, having everybody line up and, and slapping them, we could have CM Punk stand there and the whole roster lines up and just slaps him in the face. Because <laughs> it seems like that's what they all want to do. So you could do the reverse Inoki with Punk. 
All right, Daryl says, is it just me or did All In make us all feel like cucks here? Constant references to Will's impending free agency. Uh, Aussies, Juice and Switchblade all poached in the last few months, teasing Monet out there like they're stealing my lady. Working relationship, my ass, TK is Chad. I mean, I did walk away from the show <laughs> very as a New Japan fan, feeling very much put in my place. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we're never going to be number one in the West, obviously. We're not going to be number two in the West now because AEW... I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Like I, I, it bothers. I see why it bothers other people more, but like AEW is never going to give a shit about Japan. I mean, they're not, it just doesn't make economical sense for them to give a shit about Japan. So you're if, like, you're new Japan is always going to exist in Japan and they're always probably going to be number one in Japan. Um, I mean, certainly the rest of the Japanese wrestling scene does not look like it's in any condition to, uh, you know, contend that, especially if you look at the attendances that Noah is drawing. And the end one so far. So you're always going to have a new Japan probably that's exists in Japan, is strong in Japan. I mean, they're making just as much revenue as they did in 2019. If you do it by yen, obviously, because the, the value of the yen has fallen off a lot. Um, so maybe they're not going to be as competitive for the, the big Western names as they used to be, but I don't know. It, I, I don't feel the same sense of like, Oh, we're, we're doomed because we also have like, a ton of great young Japanese talent in New Japan right now. Apparently a really full dojo. I mean, I've heard there's 13 wrestlers in the dojo right now, which is crazy if that's true. Um, it just, you know, there's a lot of good stuff coming, I guess, in New Japan. So I, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not feeling very down, to be honest with you. It's less that that, you know, New Japan are doomed, and more that, I mean, I spoke before, it, it's always been a part of the New Japan fandom that the foreign wrestlers it's cyclical you know they get big they make it to the top in new japan and then they'll go and work for a bigger american company that's fine you know that's always happened and the roster turnover is good it freshens things up but i think i've said before whether or not there is the working relationship with AEW and new japan AEW will be able to sign the wrestlers that they want because the amount of money that they can offer relative to new japan is just it's night and day you know there's no comparison however um, I think it was Andrew on our Discord brought up this point. When this working relationship allows Tony Khan to borrow New Japan wrestlers, put them on dynamite just to sort of test the waters, see who gets over, and then cherry pick the ones that do get over, do you think maybe that is something that New Japan should not be doing? Yeah, I mean, I the, look, the working relationship, I mean, until there's a show in... Because people get this wrong. People are like, oh, well, Forbidden Door is New Japan and AEW. I'm like, it, that's how they market it. But it's really an AEW show where New Japan sends their guys over. They get paid for that. And they have input in the booking of the New Japan guys. But it's really an AEW show. If this was a fair relationship, there should be a fucking like Wrestle Kingdom New Japan versus AEW every year where AEW sends over pretty much all of its top talent the way New Japan does and let's New Japan have them for a fee, and we get New Japan and AEW guys in Japan. We never get that. We get one guy in the G1, we get maybe a tag team here or there, and we get didn't even get anyone in the Best of Super Junior this year. He did last year, and that's it. So like it's it's a very one way street when it comes to the, the the talent going over. So that aspect of it annoys me. And look, if I think people who don't think if, like if you're sitting there thinking AEW constantly poaching New Japan's talent, especially in this Osprey one, 
um, where they, they put him on TV long before they're going to sign him, isn't going to put a strain on the relationship. I mean, there are so many examples throughout wrestling history of exactly this ending relationships in wrestling. This is one of the top things is one of the two companies poaching the other one's talent. There's a million examples of that in wrestling history of that ending a relationship. So I'm not saying it's going to end tomorrow. You know, New Japan makes a lot of money from this AW relationship from what I'm, you know, what I've heard, but I do think that this is going to put a strain on the relationship. The more talent they, they poach like this, and eventually I do think it will, it could come to a breaking point where New Japan doesn't think it's worth their time anymore to like basically let AEW get, you know, trial runs with all the talent they're going to sign eventually. So. And look, it's not just in-ring talent as well, because uh, Samuel North writes in and says, as much as we all love Kevin Kelly, is it inevitable to expect a greatly reduced involvement? And is it time for Chris to step up into the main seat? I mean, we know Kevin is working AW shows at the moment. And again, just like Osprey, we don't know anything official, but would it stun me to see uh, Kevin get a full-time offer from AW and him thinking, you know, this is much better money. I don't have to do all these long-haul flights. don't have to do the tours. I don't have to be away from my family. I'll have that. Thank you very much. So again, this sort of stuff is not just uh, in-ring talent, is it? This is, a, uh, I think, a, I don't want to call it a genuine threat to New Japan, but something they seriously need to think about because, yeah, it's not just the wrestlers. Yeah, I think, you know, they're, they're they, until, until New Japan can find some way to get American TV money, they're never going to, which they're not going to, they're never going to be on equal footing with AEW. I mean, it's just the the, the long and short of it. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think what what when you hear those comments, you know, by um, by Obari and by Kadani and the uh, the financial when they give the financial report on New Japan and Bush Road in general, um, you know, they're very they did sound very down on America at this point, and they sounded like, well, you know, AEW entering the market, you know, really no longer made us the number two. And, you know, I think, I think they even said something like we have to focus more on Asia where, you know, they, AEW hasn't gotten a foothold yet. So I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't expect them to have the same focus on America they've had in recent years. I mean, I just, I don't know if it's going to get to the point where they complete, I mean, you said Rocky's talked about the futures. What did Rocky said and listen to the podcast. Um, the biggest takeaway is that he would like to get strong back as a regular thing because he thinks that was really beneficial for them and the wrestlers mm-hmm. rather than just doing occasional weird shows in the States. I mean, he'd like to. It doesn't mean he's going to. But No, no. But I mean, maybe maybe they're able to. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but like at some point, Maybe they just don't run shows in America beyond Forbidden Door anymore. You know, maybe they just they're happy to send their guys over to America to AEW and you know, they get paid a lot of money to do that and they'll give they'll give guys over to AEW when they want them and it makes sense. But I don't they might just not run their own shows in America at a certain at a certain point. I don't know. I mean part of the reason why I'm gonna go to this New Japan show in Vegas uh in at the end of October is because I'm like, how many more opportunities to see like a new Japan show in America. Am I going to have, I don't know. I, I don't feel confident that they're going to uh, be running these big, you know, especially non-strong, you know, where they, they actually have a bunch of guys from Japan coming over like they do for this. You know, they already have like Naito and Shingo and Tanahashi and uh, 
I think Hiromu too announced for this October 28th show. Um, I don't know how many more chances they're going to have really that we're going to have to see those shows in America. So that's kind of part of why I wanted to go. And I, and I love Las Vegas anyway. So, you know, <laughs> but I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I just don't know what the future of new Japan in America looks like. I, I don't know. So um, it could, it could look a lot like nothing. <laughs> so if you judge by, again, if you judge by what Obari and uh, Kidani were saying, and then you have Obari teasing the return of the white belt, uh, at he was replying to uh, Gideon Gray, I believe, about the return of the white belt at a uh, Royal Quest. I mean, if they folded, they already rebranded the U.S. title unofficially as the U.K. title with Osprey doing that. I mean, if they end up folding that belt back and making it like the Intercontinental title again, uh, that's probably not a great sign for New Japan, you know, running shows in America. So, yeah. Um... I mean, I suppose as long as the shows are making money, then they'll keep doing them. But um, this, if the All-Star Junior Festival is anything to go by, I mean, I, I will sort of take that as a, a non-canon New Japan thing. But um, I will say yeah, the people in that lot. building were, were sure buying a lot of merchandise at least, so that must have helped. Yeah. Well, maybe let's let's talk about that first. I mean, we're not going to go match by match of that, but you were there live. Um, yeah. What was the experience like there? I mean, I had a lot of fun at that show. You could You could tell... I'm, let me see what they did versus the other, the other. Uh, so it says 672 people was the uh, the crowd for the show. So it was down quite a bit from the Collision in Philadelphia show back in April, which did 977 according to this. So that was the show headlined by Aussie Open against Chaos for the strong titles uh, that had you know Naito was on it. So I guess I'm not that Sonata was on it. I guess I'm not that surprised that they were down you know, about 300 fans, but like when they, the thing that's confusing to me is when they announced this show in the building at collision in Philadelphia, the people went insane. Like the crowd went fucking crazy when they announced yeah. the All-Star <laughs> Junior 672 Festival. people cheering. Yeah. So I'm like, what happened to these 300 people that decided they were going nuts and then decided not to come back. It was very weird, but um, you know, it was, I wouldn't say it was a great show. It was a good show. Uh, it was a very weirdly booked show at times, which I think is may have also had part to, part to do with the uh, with the, the the down crowd or whatever. Like the it had a great collection talent, but they booked them in all sorts of weird stuff. But but yeah, I don't know. Like the actual matches we got, I went. Uh, you know, I had two four. I had more four more. Uh, I mean, I had the same number of four star matches on this as I did it all in. I had two four star matches. Uh, I went four stars on the Desperado and Mao against Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne match. That match was awesome. Um, just went, Also that went worth, worth mentioning, uh, Despy said that he wants Mal, Jordan Oliver, and Nick Wayne in Best of the Super Juniors. I don't know if that will happen, but we maybe a chance that we get Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne as a tag team in the Super Junior Tag League because that would be um, when Chris Samsa tweeted out the schedule for the Super Junior Tag League, I think one of them might have been Jordan Oliver retweeted it. So I don't know if you want to read in too much of that, but um, yeah, maybe something to keep an eye on for the Super Junior Tag League. I mean, Oliver is like, if AEW is not going to sign this guy, New Japan should bring him in like immediately as a junior. Cause he was, I mean, he was incredible here. And he's, he's a guy that I haven't seen a ton of cause I don't watch a lot of us Indies. I remember he was getting hype a few years ago and like uh, Joe Lanza and some other people were saying he, he really wasn't very good, but I saw him last year when I went to a GCW show 
in Brooklyn. I want to say that was like in the fall of 2022. And he looked very good then. So I'm like, oh, this, maybe this Jordan Oliver guy is, you know, improving. But here he just looked like the complete package. I mean, he looked polished. He was super over. I mean, really, almost everybody in the show was, uh, both shows was very over with the, I guess, the the 600 plus who bothered to come out for the show. But yeah, they were like, he, he was super over. He, were, he was very popular. And like, he just really, he looked really good in this match. I mean, you know, he was everything looked very crisp. And he and Wayne looked like a well-oiled machine, well-oiled machine as a tag team. So I definitely want to see them in the uh, the Super Junior Tag League if they decide to do it. So. And how was the Philly Cheese State Cup three-way tag okay. ladder match? <laughs> that match sucked. That was uh, that I went two stars on. I mean, that was pretty bad. Um, it was funny bad, though. So, okay. I didn't even mention this. I forgot to mention this. So I bought my tickets for the show. I bought, like, I think I bought second row because first row was very expensive. And we decided just to buy second row. And I did not do this on purpose. But I get to my seat. I look to my left. And Damon's just sitting there. So he and I just happened to buy tickets sitting next to each other, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that we, you know, we did not coordinate this at all. We just, of all the second row seats in the building, we just happened to buy the two seats next to each other. Just kind of funny. But he immediately was like, we got to take a picture for Joel, which I thought was funny. Yeah, um, that's an amazing coincidence. Yeah. But um, but during this match, we're, we're sitting, oh, and then I knew the guy in the row in front of me too. So like, it, basically it was like, it was one big collection of people I've met and talked to at these wrestling shows before. Like he was, he's one of these, um, Oh God, I feel horrible. that I can't remember his name right now, but he does the, he does color commentary for the, for one of the New York city Indies. I really should remember his name. I'm so, I feel so bad because I know he's going to listen probably, but um, <laughs> if you're, if you're listening, you're a very cool dude. And I really enjoy talking to you when you're, we end up, because somehow we end up sitting close to other a lot of shows, not even just this one, but um. But yeah, I mean, it, this, it happened again at this show too. So he was like right in the row ahead of me. But so we were in like, I was in a group of people who, you know, I knew them and we were having a good time. And during this match, we were just all basically, you know, the three of us, uh, plus my friend Quinlan I came to the show with, plus like the other people in the crowd who I don't even know who just were, you know, also making fun of it. We were just mocking this match endlessly. And especially like there were multiple points where, a guy would get to the top of the ladder, could clearly grab this fucking bag of sandwiches and just would not do it. And we would just yell at them, just grab the sandwich. Like it was the kind of match where you're just having fun, like heckling the wrestlers, telling them to just get the just get the fucking sandwiches and end the match. So it was a bad match, but I had a good time yelling at them to gra- just grab the sandwiches. So and on the website <laughs> it's listed the finishing move as sandwich acquisition. Yep. Indeed. Fantastic stuff. Uh, um, how was the reception for our friend, a real one? So I don't know. I left. The, I left. I refused to watch it. Oh, I mean, you. I left the. Uh, you know, I just I left the ringside area. I went to the bar. They had a great. They have a great bar in the twenty three hundred arena now. Obviously, that's the uh, the former ECW arena. They've really cleaned it up and made it look a lot nicer. And they have the bar area over there is really nice. And they had this uh, arena punch, which basically just a rum punch. It was. I had many of those on these two nights. It was very, very good drink. So if you're ever in 2300 Arena, uh, ask for the Arena Punch. And were you surprised? That's that my real was, one um... review. The Arena Punch is great. <laughs> I think that's all that it deserves. Uh, were you surprised that it was Mike Bailey who ended up winning the tournament? And I, I see he's been 
added to the so we've got the junior match is that at the destruction in Ryogoku it's yeah. uh, now three year with Hiromu and Leo Rush and Mike Bailey so yeah what did you think of the little tournament there so the tournament was really good I mean that was pro- that other than the tag match I mentioned that was the highlight I mean there were two really really good little sprint matches uh, where Kevin Knight beat Clark Connors in just under 10 minutes and 958 and Mike Bailey beat Francesco Akira in 1331. I mean, I went three and three quarters of both those matches. I thought they were both great matches. Um, and then the final was, I would say my second favorite match of the night after the tag, but I went four stars on this as well. Uh, Mike Bailey beating Kevin Knight. So all three tournament matches I thought were really good. And I was surprised because I, I kind of thought, I was thinking Akira was going to win and they were going to set up Hiromu yeah, versus Akira since obviously the entire tour is like LIJ versus United Empire, but they decided not to go. They decided to go in a different direction, which is, you know, just cool. And then obviously the next night we got the, uh, we'll talk about the, the thing with Leo Rush, but yeah, they ended up setting a three-way match with Mike Bailey and Leo Rush instead. And, you know, Bailey did not win, need to win this tournament to demand a title shot, really, since he beat Hiromu in the junior, in the, in the best of super junior. So did Leo Rush, I think actually. So, um, you know, they both, they both had a legitimate uh, claim for the title anyway, but it just kind of put the exclamation point on it, I guess. So, you know, it, it made sense and it was good, but. but yeah, how do you feel about Kevin Knight specifically? Do you feel he is improving because he, yeah. he had, you know, some, some sloppiness during the best of the super juniors, which you'd expect from a guy, you know, relatively short length into his career. But I think he visible improvements here. I'm very high on Kevin Knight. I think they got something there. Because, I mean, he's he's a tall dude. So, like, you can move him up from junior to heavyweight pretty easily when you whenever you want to do that. And, you know, if he lasts long enough in in New Japan without getting uh, fucking poached by Tony Khan to go work uh, Ring of Honor or whatever, I mean... He's gonna he's gonna be a really good a really good wrestler. I think. I mean, he's he's already on his way there. I mean, he looks really good for especially for someone with only a few years in the business. But you know, you could definitely see him improving. And you know, I mean, he had a had a four star match on this show and a three and three quarter star match. So I think he's he's really coming along, and I'm uh, I'm happy to see him. The other guys I was happy to see too were Ace Austin and Chris Bay, who I assume are going to be in the uh, in the junior tag league. But they both looked good in that uh, lucky dip eight-man tag match that I went uh, three and a half on. So, uh, Well, talk to us about the show the following day, then, Multiverse United. What were your highlights and that impact crossover uh, show? So that show, it looks like it did almost the same crowd, 665 instead of 672, which is interesting because when I first got there, um, it looked like the crowd was way down. I never would have guessed there was only seven people less. What it turned out to be was a very late arriving crowd because the main card started at five o'clock since it was a Sunday show. So I think it just took a little while for people to show up. Like we got, when we first got there, you know, we got there in time to see the pre-show because we really wanted to see Yuya. I uh, was in the, uh, the six man tag, but you know, they was like really, it looked like it was like half the crowd of the, uh, of the new, the all-star junior festival the night before, um, you know, when there was about um, when it was like four thirty when that pre-show started, but like by like match two or three of the main card, you could see it really start to fill in. So I guess that's why it ended up being only seven less people uh, than the all-star junior festival. It was just a very late arriving crowd. 
Um, as far as the show itself, I liked it better uh, overall than compared to the Junior Festival. I mean, my main takeaway coming from this away from this was like, I wonder if Impact's not that bad <laughs> because it was like the Impact people on this show were pretty fun, and maybe it's just like if I watched Impact by itself without New Japan taking up half the card, it wouldn't be you know wouldn't hit the same. So I haven't really tried to watch Impact by itself, honestly. But I kind of came away thinking, eh, maybe I should give Impact a chance because I, I had a really good time. I mean, they were uh, like... And New Japan gives them a lot. Like You can tell they have genuine respect for Impact, the way they're booking. You know, the, the main event at this, allowing Alex Shelley to pin Tanahashi. I'm not saying Tanahashi's any sort of protected commodity, but that's something where so that sort of raised my eyebrow. I was like, huh, you know, New Japan obviously really value this partnership. So I'll be honest with you. They, so Impact went like six and one in the show or something. I thought um, by, before the end of it, like when they got to that world title match, I'm like, oh, Tanahashi's winning the Impact world title, I guess. That's why they let Impact win so many of these matches on the undercard because, uh, you know, Tanahashi's going to win the world title. But no, that did not happen. Shelly just beat him. So... I mean, when you look at it, it's not exactly the New Japan A-team, right? So I guess that's why they uh, were comfortable having them lose so many matches. But yeah, they really kind of got their butts kicked by Impact when you look at the scorecard. Um, but yeah, the, the show was a lot of fun. Um, I had four different three and three quarter star matches, so might as well just list, list them all if anyone's looking to pick and choose the matches. I really liked the uh, Eddie Edwards and Moose against Shane Hayes and Zack Sabre Jr. match. Uh, Zack was like... Zach and Shane, you know, were and Robbie and uh, Fujita later on too, were super fucking over on this show. So, you know, TMDK very over with the the Western fans that came to the show. So I went three and three quarters on that. The woman's far away. We talked a little bit about earlier. Julia beating Deanna Perrazzo, uh, Giselle Shaw. I think it's Giselle, right? Or is it Gisela? I don't know. Either way. Giselle. I think it's Giselle. Giselle. Yeah, I think it's Giselle. Uh, Giselle Shaw and Momo, uh, Momo Kogo in twelve twenty two. Uh That was great, too. Uh, Leo Rush and Trey Miguel beating Hiromu Takahashi and Speedball Mike Bailey uh, in fourteen twenty eight. That's my main event with uh, Leo giving Hiromu the dick punch to get the pin, and that sets up the, uh, the big junior three-way. That I went three and three quarters on. And the main event I went three and three quarters on with, you know, I thought Alex Shelley did a really good job kind of working around Tanahashi's limitations. I mean, even when Tanahashi, like, kind of stumbled in the in the Texas Cloverleaf, uh, at one point, they had a good cover for that with, you know, Shelley uh, having worked over Tanahashi's arm for a lot of the match. So it was like, okay, it made sense that Tanahashi couldn't hold it, even if the reason was because he's, you know, a little bit uh, washed up at this point and just couldn't hold the move. So... You know, that was really good. But the match I went four stars on, which I seem to have liked way more than the cage match inmates here, only have it a 5.96. I thought the Bullet Club versus the World, this 12-man tag was awesome. And I think it's just one of those matches that came across like such a spectacle live that probably did not hold up on tape. But this was like, in the building, I thought this fucking world. So... I don't know, just like seeing PCO like dive onto the entire Bullet Club and, you know, watching all these guys brawl all over the building. And I don't know, I just had a really, really good time with this. So I don't know. What, when you were watching it, did you, did you not like it nearly as much? No, I did. I thought it was a much better show than the All-Star Junior Festival. And uh, again, a blueprint for what a, a productive, 
healthy relationship should be like between New Japan and, and American partner promotion. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy to see this partnership continue. Um, although, having said that, are you familiar with Joya? Yeah, that's that's concerning. Um, for the benefit of listeners who've not seen it, could you describe what Joya is, please? It's just Joe Henry and Yuya Uemura going, uh, Joya! <laughs> like, repeatedly. Especially Yuya, I think, is the one who says it. And, like, this this impact, like, interview woman looks really excited for some reason. I, it's a very, very weird segment. But... Did you see the, the little dance routine thing that they did? Oh, I didn't see the dance. What's the dance? Oh, okay. Well, I have to share this with you. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm going to tweet it out. So if anyone's not seen it, I'm just going to re- retweet or repost, as it is called now. Uh, and I will send it to you uh, on... I'll send it on Slack, because that's... Uh, probably going to be the easiest way because it's something that I think has to be seen to be really appreciated and yeah I watch this and there's me thinking Yuya is like nailed on future ace with New Japan which I I still believe by the way but (laughs) I did come away from watching this scratching my head thinking what what is going on here so can you see the tweet in question uh yes let's see DM'd it to me okay oh okay See Joya. They have a little video now. Oh God! <laughs> They're like <laughs> they have matching tights. Apparently, I guess Yuya's not coming back anytime soon. Oh my God! What the fuck? <laughs> they are they are dancing their little hearts out here. I'm I'm getting sort of flashbacks to uh, is it Susumu Yokosuka? doing the natural vibes dance yes that's kind of what his you heart is like. not in it at all <laughs> yuya is yuya's plastering on a big smile but he looks pretty dead inside i have to say but uh yo yeah or joe yeah whatever <laughs> yeah they've got a little dance routine going they've got matching tights um i don't know kind of almost reminiscent of the chuck and billy tag team from uh Early two thousands uh, WWF, if anyone remembers that. But uh, oh boy, yeah. Can can we get you your back, please? Oh man. I mean, having said that, there is apparently they're doing a bring back the feast or fire gimmick match, so maybe that could be Yuri's escape plan. I've heard they have like a bunch of guys whose contracts are up though, so it could be anybody. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I, right, I, mean, I could I'm... be wrong, but I read that somewhere. So. Derek says, I bought Impact and uh, Super J against my own better judgment. What does it take for New Japan to run a New Japan-style show in America with at least one memorable main event? Seems like they were doing that when they started with the USG one. Do you think they are slacking somewhat with the main events in particular that they're running for their US shows? Yeah, I mean, they're not running big shows here. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, if you look, when you when I, it's interesting going to Forbidden Door both years. I mean... The Forbidden Door shows have become the big New Japan and America shows each year. The way, like, you know, the, what was the name of the 2018 one with uh, the Bucks against Kenny and Ibushi? Strong Spirit. Style, yeah, Strong Style of Bob, yeah. Because, like, I went to that show, too, and over in Long Beach. And, like, you know, you could tell that was, like, the big New Japan show in the U.S. of the year. 2019, it was obviously the G1 show in Dallas. Now it's, like, Forbidden Door because they run much bigger matches for Forbidden Door with New Japan talents than they run on any New Japan shows in America. And 
when you go to Forbidden Door, it's not like I'm the only American New Japan fan who's going to Forbidden Door each year. I mean, you see a ton of people wearing New Japan merchandise at Forbidden Door who are clearly there because they're New Japan fans. So, you know, it's just become the show to go to for American New Japan fans in a way like they don't run anything that big, you know, as big as like Kenny Osprey or Danielson Okada at any of these U.S. New Japan shows. So I thought you said yeah. Dan House on Okada for a second. I was gonna say, I don't <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's become the big New Japan show of the year in America. I mean, it's not these shows that New Japan run are, are much smaller. So I mean, they, they've given did they do Tanahashi Okada this year? Am I remembering that correctly? Oh, you're right. Yeah, Strong Style. At the, I mean, uh, the the San Jose one. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was like their that would be like the second biggest New Japan show in America because it had the uh, Battle in San Jose. I think was the name that had Okada Tanahashi and it had Mercedes Monet on it. Um, but I don't I don't know because it's like uh, is Okada Tanahashi really that big a match anymore? You know, I mean, it's not. It's... But I felt it was appropriate for the size of the show in question. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the biggest fan event they ran on a New Japan only show. So. Uh, next question for you, John. Did you catch the Sonata versus Jake something match? No, I didn't see it. No, me neither. All right, so I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> uh, Eric says, genuine non-snarky question. Given Joel's experience at Wembley, what lessons could New Japan stand to learn from AEW in terms of in or out of ring products, taking, taking into account the difference in financial reach, audience context, blah, blah, blah. Is there anything that you think New Japan could or should be doing better? <sighs> It's a tough question. I mean, I would say, obviously, you just tell them get lots of get a billionaire and then lots of US TV money, but that's t- difficult to uh, to replicate. Obviously, um, I don't know. We could be doing better with the marketing and and I think the venues that they book for the for US America. Shows. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think of like the. Is there anything about ADW that I like more than New Japan? <laughs> I mean, the answer might be no, so <laughs> which I'm sure is gonna uh, further. Well, let, let, let's be real; none of those people are listening still anyway. But uh, none of the freakazoids—they all clicked stop a long time ago. But yeah, I don't know, because um, it's like I, wrestling style-wise, I prefer New Japan. Booking, I definitely prefer New Japan. I guess I, I think they could do a better job in making the U.S. shows feel more like New Japan shows oh, rather yeah. than sort of an approximation of what they think US wrestling fans like. Because yeah. I think the American fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling want to see a New Japan show. They don't want to see a, an American-flavored New Japan show. I agree. I mean, that is that is for sure. But but at the same time, some of the experiments have worked. Like the We talked about it already, but the women's, the women's matches they run in New Japan America are like, they've gotten super over, which I would not have guessed. Yes. They would, but like the fans... The fans of the building in Philly were probably more into Julia than they were anybody else on the show. So, you know, you're drawing fans who are willing to watch, you know, who are not even just willing, but who really are interested in watching women's wrestling. And, you know, which AEW isn't, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very... So like some of the stuff that they do differently from Japan works. I just wish they would stop doing a fucking plunder match on every show. We don't need a plunder match. We don't need ladder matches. I mean, nobody really wants to see that stuff when they go to New Japan. But then again, I say this, it was they were both over in the building. So what the fuck do I know? I'm just a, a, an opinionated nerd on the internet. 
Uh, did you watch the RevPro 11 year anniversary show? Yep. That was the first RevPro show I've watched uh, start to finish in a long time. Is there, was there anything else to mention on the Impact show? Let me think. I think we pretty much covered it all. Was it, it was, yeah. If I didn't say anything else about it, it was a very good show, and I enjoyed it more than the All-Star Junior Festival. I'm happy I went because originally I was thinking of only going to the Junior Festival. So. Well but done, yeah. Impact. Good well job done, Impact. That. Good show. All right. Uh, so, yeah, this RevPro show. So, it got a really good attendance. There were over 4,000 people in Copper Box and f- really fantastic venue. Um, I have not been to a, a huge amount of venues, but I'd say this would be one of the best ones. It's kind of got the same vibe as uh, like a, 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 a Saka Joe Hall. Obviously, it's you know about half the size of it, but very sort of compact, good sight lines. There's not a bad seat in the house and it retains the noise and the atmosphere and it you know can get really thunderous in there when the crowd gets popping. So really great venue and an enjoyable show top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I had a really good time watching the show. I mean, the production is, uh, which obviously you, you were there, so you don't, I don't know if you know anything about the production, but it was kind of a disaster. I mean, you know, lots of sound issues and lots of, uh, you know, it just looked like a, like a mid two thousands ring of honor DVD. But when the wrestling on the show is like as good as the wrestling on this show was, I could deal with some production snafus. It's not that big a deal. I mean, this show was better than all in. And I don't really think it was even that close. And I don't know if you'd agree being at both, maybe just yes. a spectacle of all yes, in. Yes, I like, would. Okay. <laughs> of course, I could agree. Um, I well, this, to, had, yeah. this had more wrestling on it. I mean, this had more yeah. the sort of the stuff that, that I'm into. Yeah. I mean, I have four quote unquote notebook matches on this, two four star matches, two four and a half star matches. Another two, three and three quarter star matches. I mean, there's just so much great stuff on this show. And, you know, the only thing that's, that sucked, in my opinion, was the semi-main event uh, with Michael. You want to go match by match? Go ahead. Um, I mean, not necessarily. I'll just stop on the matches that I think have New Japan significance. The first one being the Leon Slater against Dan Maloney. I mean, first of all, I really liked the way Dan Maloney was presented with, I think the, the singer's name was Filthy. I apologize if I got that wrong, but doing a live rendition of his song, that went down really well. Really good atmosphere for that. And I was quite surprised that he lost, given that he is holding IWGP gold. But Leon Slater, only 18 years old. This is a guy who's obviously got a tremendous future in the business, and I would not bet against seeing him in a best of the Super Juniors in the future. Yeah, he looked great here. I mean, this was a hell of an opener. I couldn't believe it only went seven minutes, but uh, this was three and three quarters for me. Really, really enjoyed this. So, uh, yeah. And Leon Slater looks like a future star. I mean, he looks like a guy who is going to be a big deal. Yeah, like the charisma and the confidence of a guy 18 years old, just staggering. I, I had to do a double take when I saw how young he was. So, yeah, expecting big things from him in the future. Um, the Refro Undisputed British Cruiserweight title six-way scramble match is of relevance given that Callum Newman was involved and he is the new recruit to the United Empire. So we'll be seeing him on the upcoming tour in Japan. So... He didn't really stand out that much here. I mean, obviously, there were. it's a six-way scramble match. There's only so much you can do in that. I was actually came away from this more impressed with Robbie X, who really seemed to yeah, really get the crowd great. going, had a good connection with him there. But, um, yeah, Callum really Newman, like, he looked good there. I really like Jordan Brakes, too. I mean, he had that, he had that very Yeah, he's going with sort of like the Jim Brakes gimmick, like the kind of Zack Sabre Jr. British-style technical wrestling thing. Now, he's named after a guy who committed a murder, which is not great, <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know how he's allowed to get away with that one. 
but uh but yeah the the, the match itself was great um like you said, I thought Robbie X was a standout. Jordan Brakes was a standout. Uh, the champion was just kind of this guy who, I guess, stole the belt and just kind of did the sneaky pin everybody expected. But uh, that wild board dude, even though he's a wee little fella, uh, he he was like kind of entertaining as like the little mini rhino as well. So I, I this was awesome. I thought this is an awesome spot fest. I won four stars on this one. So really enjoyed it. And we had a singles match with JJ Gale defeating Kosei Fujita. So I don't think the match was anything special. I mean, I don't think JJ Gale was particularly memorable, but I'm just I continue to be impressed every time I see Kosei Fujita. And I hope his excursion isn't that long because I've been saying it for months that he's the guy you could just immediately plug straight back into the main roster and he would not look out of place at all. Yeah, I mean, he would be great for the junior division, right? I expect that's where he's going, at least at first. But, uh, you know, three and a quarter star match here, pretty good. And, you know, Fujita, Fujita could, could walk in and challenge Jerome tomorrow and it'd be great. So, Then we have a tag team match with ELP and Shibata defeating War Dogs, David Finlay and Gabe Kidd. This was special. I mean, getting to see Shibata wrestle live for me was an incredible moment. And the crowd just absolutely unglued. Like, they appreciated how incredible it is to see a guy who many of us thought would never wrestle again. And... I hope we get to see more of it. I mean, it almost seemed that we could be heading towards a Shibata Gabe Kids singles match, which would be unbelievable. I think they got great chemistry, obviously, with Shibata having trained Gabe Kids in the LA Dojo. There's a lot of history there, and I just I love Gabe Kid. He's one of my favorite wrestlers right now. Yeah, just he he owns great. the arena every time he steps out from behind the curtain. He just he, he's got everything. He's got the crowd in the palm of his hand. He's so fucking good. I mean, he's Kid is one of these wrestlers where like he's he's one of these young wrestlers where I'm not that worried about the roster, honestly, where, you know, if they lose some people, he's a guy who could step up tomorrow and be a bit in, into a bigger role. And I think be great. Cause he just, he has the in ring. He has the charisma. I mean, he really is the total package. So, uh, ELP and Shibata, they win this in 1220. Uh, I went three and three quarters on this one as well. I thought this was, you know, just seeing how, like you said, the reverence they had for Shibata was so fucking cool. Um, you know, I've been in some American buildings since Shibata's return where, like, they like him, but you could tell, like, most of the crowd was not New Japan viewers or anything. Like, at, at Ring of Honor, at Death Before Dishonor, when I was there in Trenton, you could just tell that, like, people were like, yeah, we're supposed to like you, but we don't. they didn't have that connection with him. Whereas you could tell in this building, you know, all the New Japan guys were super over, and they loved Shibata. And I'm sure part of that, too, is because he once held the Rev Pro British title anyway. But... I mean, it's it was like they just really had a a great connection with him, and you could tell it was really special for them to see Shibata wrestle wrestle back in London again. So that was just really cool. Do you think he'll be at Royal Quest Three? I hope so. I hope New Japan lets him wrestle, but who the fuck knows at this point the way things have gone? So. All right. Next was a singles match with Zack Sabre Junior defeating Ricky Knight Junior. I don't get it with Ricky Knight Junior. I can see. Obviously, there's the family connection with the the Knight family. Obviously, that's a fairly big deal in British wrestling. But Soraya's family, um, I should mention. Yes, yeah. Um, the match was okay. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. Oh, but I, I don't this was see awesome. Ricky Knight. Yeah, you <laughs> I like RKJ. Yeah, I went four stars on this. I mean, I don't. I this might be the first time I've ever seen RKJ wrestle, but maybe it's just I'm a such a big Zach Mark that, that I got into it. But I thought this was awesome. Do you think RKJ is a guy who has any appeal beyond Rev Pro? No. Is this a guy you think? No. 
Yeah. I mean, it was, it was Zach in there with a, with an opponent who could hang, but I didn't, yeah. it, I didn't come away thinking like, Oh, Ricky Knight Jr. is the future of this business or anything. But you know, I'm, I, it was an, another, another awesome Zach match, but Zach can have an awesome match with lots of people. So. Uh, I don't have anything to say about the tag title match unless you do. Uh, I went three stars on it. It was fine. Didn't really think much. And my probably my favorite match of the whole weekend. Oh, mine too. Tomohiro you Ishii. can probably. This was like, definitely. This match, this match was awesome. Tomohiro Ishii defeating Luke Jacobs, the Mank Walter, uh, in seventeen minutes fifty eight. This was so good. I've never seen Jacobs before. Actually, no, I did. I saw him at the. the, the not live, but I watched him. He wrestled at the Royal Quest 2, didn't he? And, yeah, I mean, the, the Walter comparisons are apt. This is a guy who could do that hard-hitting style, and I, I would really like to see more of him. I think that's if New Japan are looking at guys to kick the tyres on and maybe give a chance on a future show, I think Luke Jacobs is definitely one uh, because he just totally fits that sort of bruiser style. And... There was just a little moment in the match that I love where Ishii's repeatedly no-selling Luke's attacks, and then he just, in the most mank way possible, is like, oh, for fuck's sake, and just pop, pop the crowd. That was the best moment of the match. But, yeah, this was terrific. I loved it. I, like, this This was like, give this man a contract tomorrow. Like, this was this yeah. was incredible. I went four and a half stars on this. Like, this was like, it was like Ishii wrestling a British Ishii. I mean, like, they just, these two, like, little stout dudes just, like, Larrying the shit out of each other and beating the piss out of each other. But look, if you love MJF and Adam Cole, and to be fair, Michael Oku and Trent Seven on this show too, if you love that melodrama bullshit, good for you. I love Ishii and Luke Jacobs beating the shit out of each other. That's what I want on my pro wrestling. This was awesome. Yeah, I think I should go and watch that again just to wash the taste of MJF versus <laughs> Adam Cole away. This was uh, so yeah. fucking great. Like Luke Jacobs great needs stuff. to be in New Japan tomorrow. I mean, he, this was yep. this was awesome. Totally agree. Um, I think he's got to be on Royal Quest Three. They've got to find a spot for him there somewhere because I think they'd be really dropping the ball if they don't. Royal Quest Three, find a spot for this guy at the G One next year. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Uh, then we had the women's title three O match, which was a, a decent match, but completely ruined by the crowd who yeah. were just chanting hardcore country. <laughs> hardcore country. I really, I thought it was really disrespectful. It was, it was. I mean, you know, I mean, what what are you gonna do? I guess, but I mean, it was. I went two and a half on it, but it was like really hard to even pay attention with the crowd being that annoying. So, and then the referee undisputed British heavyweight title match with Uh, Michael Oku defeating Trent Seven in ninety minutes fifty nine seconds, which was an absolute mess. It was horrible. Actually, the one thing I did enjoy was up to a point, uh, Levi Muir. Who was tremendously entertaining ringside, just shouting through the whole thing. Look at the size difference! Look at the size difference! He ain't got a chance. He's broken, bro. But that was really fun. But when they started getting involved in the match, then it just the and whole the, thing. The other one too, the Amira was Amira, kind of funny. Just yeah. Like she would always like like get up in people's faces, which is uh, you know, like just I don't know. She was kind of entertaining as the uh, outside the ring, uh, you know, second for Michael Oku. I thought at one point she was going to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I thought that they could have had a good match. Like, there was a good match in there somewhere with Trent Seven just sort of physically dominating Michael Oku and Oku sort of using his his pace and his speed and his agility to win the match. But it just got incredibly convoluted with the table spots and the interference and ref bumps. And it just... All of the spots were really sloppy and 
dragged out way too long. Like the pacing was all over the place. It just turned into an absolute mess. Sorry, I accidentally brought up audio there. I don't know if it came through. Um, so what did you say at the end? I just said that the match was a complete mess because the the all the interference spots took ages to set up and uh, just ruined the pacing of the match. Yeah, I mean, like it was it was very WWE. Like it felt like I was watching an NXT match, which I guess made sense since it was a uh, Trent Seven. You know, I mean, he sat under the Shawn Michaels learning tree. Yeah, so it was just very melodrama wrestling and just not my thing at all. I gave it like one point five stars. It was pretty horrible. Um, you know, they, like a mirror might have been the best part of the match. Just watching her like get up and Trent Seven's face and shit like that was kind of entertaining. But yeah, at one point I thought she was about to turn on Michael Oku because she like made a face at the camera, like where I'm just like, okay, is she about to like plaster Oku with this belt or something? There's some spot like that. I don't remember if it was a belt shot or something else. But you know, uh, I think I put this in the voice wrestling Slack during the match, and Joe Lanza was like, that would be a spicy turn considering I think they're shoot engaged. Like her and Oku. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I did not, I'm jumping into this show blind. I had no idea that this was not likely to happen. But it felt like, I was like, oh, God, she's turning on him. And then Joe was like, probably not. <laughs> probably not turning on her, her shoot fiance. I was like, well, that's what I know. And then we had our main event, which was Will Ospreay with Gideon Gary defeating Shingo Takagi in 20 minutes and eight seconds. Uh, yeah, it was really, really good. I don't think it was one of their best matches. I still no. think their best of the Super Juniors final and the pandemic Don Taku match were a lot better than this. But, I mean, still, it's excellent pro wrestling. You can't turn your nose up at Osprey versus Shingo, especially in front of a, a raucous live British crowd. And I, I, Am I right in saying this is the first time we've had Shingo Osprey in front of a cheering crowd since the best of the Super Juniors final? You mean Osprey Shingo? Yeah, what did I say? Yeah, yeah, you said Osprey. I was like, we've yes, had Osprey. Yeah, Osprey should go in front of a yeah, yeah, crowd. yeah. I think this was all. Yeah, it was the first time I believe since that Best Super Junior final, which you know I'll never forget attending that attending that show and seeing Osprey come out uh, with the samurai sword, which I'm like, oh, you know, all the people in America are going to make fun of him for this, which you know, rightfully so to a certain extent, but like it's like oh, pandering the Japanese fans. And meanwhile, I'm sitting next to these two like very stereotypical looking Japanese salarymen types, like older dudes. And, you know, we're sitting at ringside and when they see the samurai sword, they were so fucking excited. You have never seen (laughs) two men more excited by a white guy carrying a sword in your entire life. They were like clapping. They were like, well, well, like this made them love Osprey even more, like more than you would even imagine. So like they, it is one of those examples, I guess, of how the disconnect between uh, Westerners who, who view that as like, you know, I'm sure even Japanese Americans and stuff, you view that as, you know, cultural appropriation and people who grew up in Japan, who you know, only don't have to deal with growing up around Westerners. And when they see like a white guy with a samurai sort of like, yeah, he's uh, paying tribute to Japan. He loves Japan. This is great. It's a very different reception, you know? So, but yeah, I've, right, I've never... because when uh, Cash Wheeler comes out with a traditional weapon of choice for American fans, <laughs> then he gets a load of grief. Indeed. Double standards. Double standards, exactly. But yeah, I mean, just, I'll never forget that when I think of Osprey Shingo, because they were just so excited by that uh, Osprey with that samurai sword at the Best of Super Junior Final. But yeah, I mean, um, this match, the one here, I thought was pretty awesome too. I went four and a half on it. 
Um, you know, it felt it did feel like them playing the hits to a degree, but it's Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi playing the hits, so that's pretty good. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna certainly. Not I also I really love the Jericho run in at the end. That was such yeah. pantomime, and we all yeah. knew it was coming. We all knew who it was, and the crowd was like, "Ah!" Oh! It, was, it was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Good, really good show. I mean, if you're gonna watch anything we talked about. It should be Refro, which is kind of funny. And you're going to turn it on and be like, what the hell is this production? But trust me, it's the best show of the four, really by far. So, Yeah, a few questions on this. Nick says, uh, first, a big thanks for John and Dan's time on Saturday pre-Refro. Thank you for the pint, Nick. Uh, who from Refro, not announced for a Japan show, would you like to see in New Japan? William said, should New Japan try going after UK talent who may be under the radar or the major of major promotions? Multiverse A says, out of all the Refro guys and gals you saw, who do you think has the most upside where New Japan should book them ASAP? Luke Jacobs would be perfect for that classic never star, while Slater could be a supernova in the juniors division in the coming years. Uh, Biss Inspire says, fantasy book Luke Jacobs. I mean, Jacobs and Slater are the two right at the top of the list by some distance for me. Uh, if you had the book, how would you book both of those guys if they were to appear in New Japan? Um yeah, I mean, Luke Jacobs would be great for like a never guy, like they just like that person just said. Um, you know, he would be, you know, he like maybe just maybe even just have him beat Finley for it. Honestly, I mean, because that belt could use the kick in the ass, and then just let him like do these hard hitting matches on New Japan undercards. I mean, that would be great. Uh, and then the other guy you wanted me to book was Leon, right? I, yes. I mean, he would be great in the junior division. I mean, Leon Slater, you put him up against, uh, you know, almost anybody in the junior division. You could put him against Aroma, obviously, and have a great match. You could try to get him a tag partner. I mean, um, Master Watto could use a new tag partner. I mean, not that Taguchi's not good, but maybe try Watto and Leon as a tag team and see where that goes. Yeah, definitely would love to see uh, both those guys. And you've got to think, I mean, surely with the incredible displays they put on at the weekend. That That's something that New Japan should be thinking about. Uh, William Paul says, any thoughts on Robbie X from seeing him at RevPro? Someone I think can have a fun little run or do Super Juniors in the near future. Um, yeah, definitely would, would be a, an option. I mean, I don't know, maybe they could get him in for Super Junior Tag League. I don't see why not. It looks like RevPro have got plenty of uh, junior talent on their hand there for their Cruiserweight division. So, yeah, I think definitely they should be looking into trying to get some involvement for the super junior tag league i don't yeah. know what was the, the setup for that are we likely to be seeing a single block of 10 teams Ten. again that's what it looks like yeah based on the schedule because i think there's nine shows before the final one two three four five six seven eight yep nine shows so probably probably a te- single block of 10 again and um rock quest three so that's been Announced I've got my tickets for that. So very much looking forward to going to that. Rob says, will they headline Royal Crest 3 with Zach versus Will? Or will Sonata somehow manage to main event? Do you think we're going to get an IWGP title defense on this show? On Power Struggle? Uh, oh, Royal, Royal Quest. Quest Royal Quest. Um, I don't know. I mean, Zach and Osprey feels like a big enough match to do as the main. So they don't have to. Especially if that's like the resurrection of the Intercontinental title. Yeah. So they don't have to do that. I mean, they could just do... Zach and Osprey. So, yeah, I don't know. I would guess no. I would guess we do a Sonata Naito tag probably, since they're they're both already booked, I believe. 
Certainly, lots to look forward to there. Um, right, it is nearly 1am, so I'm going to call it a night here, John. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun chatting to oh, you, as always. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to plug? Before you plug, the only thing I want to mention, too, is uh, I've been f- following the, the ticket sales for the Destruction Tour, since I know that's been kind of a uh, a point among... Well, actually, for Destruction and for the Wrestle Kingdom, I don't know how, if you've been following along, but like the ticket sales for Kobe and for Wrestle Kingdom have looked really strong so far. I did want to mention that as far as like um, if you look on the ticket sites. So uh, I just had that as a note that I wanted to bring up. And I, I thought I would find a time to do it. But then all of a sudden you were re- getting ready to wrap up the show. So I was like, <laughs> I, I should I, get it in yeah, I think you mentioned something about the um, Rio Goku show has not gone on general sale yet. Is that correct? Yeah. So so the Rio Goku show has not gone on general sale yet. It's the general sale for Rio Goku uh, is in about two days, I believe. Rio Goku is not doing great. Um, in the pre-sale, like there have been years where um, the the real Goku, the balcony, uh, especially is sold out before it even gets out of the fan club. And this would be like the second pre-sale after the fan club. So there's nothing really sold out yet for real Goku other than um, I believe the special four person boxes are sold out and ringside is sold out or just front row. Actually, I don't know. All ringside. I'm sorry. Front row and rows two through four um wheelchair seat and the box for five people say only a few left but everything else is normal availability so um the regular two-person boxes because remember the big controversy where they wanted to go back to two-person boxes at sumo hall um the regular two-person boxes those are still available and the uh the balcony still available you know the, the a and b uh well anyway so like i was saying um the the real Goku ticket sales. I don't it we'll have to see what they do when um when they actually you know go to uh go to the general on sale. But so far I would say it's not great, it's not horrible, it's sort of in between. The Kobe sale though and the wrestling ticket sales and those have been on sale a little a little longer. Those look really good. So for destruction in Kobe, which is coming up uh a little under a month from now, September 24th. If you go on the Lost and Ticket site, Ringside is sold out, and all other, all four of the other categories, basically every other ticket category, shows up as few remaining. So to explain the, the Lost and Ticket categories really quick, it either says now on sale, which means it's you know normal availability, few remaining, which means it's almost sold out for that ticket category, or sold out. So all four ticket categories, besides Ringside, which has been long sold out, uh, show up as few remaining. So that to me says they're moving a lot of tickets for Kobe, which is the Osprey Yoda Suji show, um, plus Naito and Cobb. Basically, it's the United Empire versus uh, LIJ. I think Great Okan and uh, and Shingo are on there too, plus Taichi and Show for the KOPW. So that show is doing very well. Um, depending on how many fans they set it up for, you know, that that might like approach like pre-pandemic Kobe World Hall shows where you might get like 6,000 people in there. Uh, and Wrestle Kingdom is doing really well so far. Um, so if you look on the New Japan site, they're officially sold out, like not even available on any of the uh, the various ticket sites because there's multiple ones. But they're officially sold out for Wrestle Kingdom of everything ringside, so all four royal seat categories, including the ones that are 200,000 yen for front row, which is like, you know, $1,300 or something. So they did sell those whale seats where everybody was like, wow, 
uh, how exactly are they going to sell that many, you know, going to sell those seats for that much money, but they did sell them. They're all sold out. So everything ringside is sold out and the balcony stand is sold out, which is like the, the best level of the, uh, the second floor. Those go for 13,500 yen. That's officially sold out already, which is kind of crazy for being this far out. If you go on the Lawson site, which is like the main ticket site, uh, you know, that the wheelchair seats are sold out too. And for a little while, the Arena A was showing up as sold out before they, I guess, moved tickets from the other sites onto there. So, so now they're showing up as available again. But yeah, I mean, like the, the Wrestle Kingdom tickets are moving really well so far. So I think they're going to be able to beat the, like, I'd be pretty surprised at this point if they don't beat the, the latest number from uh, this past year, which I think was 28,000. That sounds right, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's correct. So I'm looking it up just to be sure. But yeah, I believe it was 28,000 uh, for Wrestle Kingdom this year. Uh, it's like yeah, the same as oh, Kingdom 11. I'm sorry, it was 26,000. 26,085 for Wrestle Kingdom 17, which, you know, they're going to beat that, I think, pretty easily. I think at this point, I'd be pretty surprised the way tickets are moving if they don't hit 30,000. The question will be how much, like to me, how can they get well over 30,000 and start getting back into the range of like old school Wrestle Kingdoms. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Or not old school, but you know, like from this past, from pre-pandemic, you know, when they were doing like 35,000 up to even, what what was the pre-pandemic high? Was it like 36 or something? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Was was... it night one one of um, Wrestle Kingdom 14? Yeah. I wonder what that, let's say. I think it was like 35,000, but I can't really remember. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom 14, night one was, oh no, sorry, it was 40,000, 40,008. So yeah, I don't think they're, they're not going to get 40,000, but the way tickets are moving, I'd be like 30,000 to me is very realistic and maybe they can get even higher and closer to like 35. So but yeah, it's just cool to see that the Wrestle Kingdom tickets are doing really well so far. So, New Japan is back, baby. New Japan is back, baby. <laughs> Battle yeah. is over. We have won. <laughs> but there you All go. right. Thank you again, John. Any plugs before um, we get out of here? Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Blue Sky at just one NB on there. E-N-B-Y. Uh, this greatly amuses Nicole for some reason. She finds it very funny that I'm plugging a site no one is on. Uh, no one can get on no one can get on uh but yeah so (laughs) blue sky i'm on there uh the podcast is on twitter at russell omakase um and you know we like i said we post once a year uh i'll probably do another one after the tokyo dome live from japan which i'm very sad you're not going to by the way joel or or john you could do one when naito wins booker of the year I could do that too. He should win Booker of the Year. Come on. Definitely should not be Tony Khan, that is for sure. <laughs> All right. Awesome stuff. Thank you again, John. So uh plugs from from me, redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash j dash cast if you want to give some money our way for all the great content we give you every week or nearly every week <laughs> you could do that a discord link you can get by sending me a direct message on twitter at cobra kawaii and pro forward slash super jcast for our great t-shirts big thanks to editor dan who's on twitter at lousy hero 219 
Subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network for other great shows. Give us a five snake review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at the Super Jcast. Thank you everybody for listening and goodbye. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.